Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your grace. We welcome your presence, Lord. Everything that we do, let it honor your name. Lord, whether it's a casual conversation, whether it's discussing disagreements or discussing certain accusations, Lord, we ask you that in everything, let the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, be glorified. Let everyone's attention always be redirected to Jesus, God, through everything that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Так, hello, lad. Uh, first, thank you for agreeing to do this. Uh, I think I was bothering you a little bit in DMs. I know you're a busy guy. I have a lot to do. But we went back I'm and forth. I'm not busy. I'm present. <laughs> we went back and forth in DMs a little bit. Um, finally, making it happen. I think the goal for this, our little Splitting Seeds podcast that we have, is I want to have a conversation that I would have with you, you know, if mics weren't present, mm-hmm. you're becoming, I think, more influential, not just, I think before it was more of like, oh, Vlad, you know, in Tri-Cities, Hunger Generation, but it was, I think before, if I'm understanding right, you were less involved with like Slavic churches, but lately, I feel like you're more, I think you've been like Jacksonville to Bundarenko's church, and especially with Sacramento, that was a 40 under 40, Assemblies of God conference, mm-hmm. and then, so I think you're like, you're more and more engaging or like people being more involved in Slavic community and where I, where I'm coming from from my area your name especially lately I think you're rubbing some people the wrong way like well we don't like how Vlad does this or that but before we get into that for somebody that didn't know Vlad like who the heck is Vlad what are you talking about how did you get How'd you come to the place that you're at right now? Growing up, where'd you grow up? Where were you born? How'd you end up in ministry and kind of all of that? So people, I guess, the goal of this, that for somebody that listens, they're like, hey, I've never heard of Vlad before, but now I kind of have a good idea where he came from, who he is, what he does, and where he is planning to go. So, Well, um, I was born in the Ukraine, Lutsk. That's, that's my that's hometown. That's dude. That's our guy. Volinsk, <laughs> Yeah, um, I'm the oldest of five, so two brothers and two sisters. I grew up in a very strict, um, very strange, str- strict and strong Pentecostal family. Uh, my parents, both who come to our church, um, took me there. So 13 years of my life, that's what I spent. You know, uh, brothers sitting on one side, sisters sitting on the other side. In Ukraine. In Ukraine, yeah. So th- the church, I think, of about two and a, two and a half thousand members okay. had two bal- two, bal- two balconies. Um, it's a very known church in the Is Ukraine. Nabalti? Mm-hmm. Oh, Nabalti, nice. Yeah. Yeah, I've been what, there. And the pastor, Vasil uh, Vasilichko, he was actually our neighbor. So we went to school with his kids. And um, so I, that's where I grew up pretty much. That's where my Christianity was at for 13 years. At the age of 13, our family immigrated to the United States. We came straight to Tri-Cities. Um, a day later is when my uncle, Vasily Prokhotyuk, he came. Now, and this is where the conflict begins to happen, because Vasily, my pastor, he was a missionary in Russia for about uh, nine to ten years. And as a missionary in Russia, he developed more of a a different uh, method of doing services. For example, they had worship. It was only one pastor preaching instead of the traditional Pentecostal churches where there's five sermons. And so... um, and we always enjoyed his preaching in Ukraine, but even as a teenager, we were already told as teenagers that he is weird. Mm-hmm. Even though we enjoyed his preaching on the Sunday main big church, but already there was this underlying tone, he's weird. 
because you know he does charismatia stuff and so we came to the uh, to tri cities and at first we were meeting at his house as a young family uh praying together and there was this conversation going on that we will start a church and so um but this talk behind my behind my head he's weird was always there and so um i mean simple things like bringing piano during prayer it was a huge stumbling block for me i'm 13 years of age okay i don't have my theology straight but i know you don't play piano and pray at the same time. Like wow. the, the Spirit of God Way is... too a, much emotion. No, yeah, yeah it, it invokes emotion. Even though Pentecostals are like emotional junkies kind of, when it comes to experiencing God emotionally. And, but still, it was make sure that there's no stimulants, make sure there's no music there. And then he launches the church three uh, to five months later. And um, just first our family, and then he introduces worship, which is to me, it was a line you don't cross. In worship, we loved worshiping God as long as it's not three songs together. And so, and then this is the crazy part is that I become part of that worship team. So inwardly, I'm wrestling against it because I, I grew up that this is, this is wrong. And then I have a hard time justifying that stance from the scripture, except it's just different than when, the way we were, we grew up. And so there was even a battle in my family because my parents were, you know, we grew up like this all our life. My parents grew up like this all their life. And so here they are coming to church on Sunday morning. And they see their children, they're happy their children are involved in church, but they disagree with the style of the service. And so this conflict lasted for a few years. Um, I've wrestled with it. I, I fought with it. I watched videos of Billy Graham, Rayhard Bonnke, all of these people that I, as a child, respected. And I always expected that they're just like us. You know, their wives are with the head coverings. There's no makeup. They don't raise their hands during worship. They don't clap. And God forbid, jump. And so, and when I would watch the videos... My world honestly fell apart because I'm thinking like like Elijah who told God, there's only few of us left, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just the ones that are in Ukraine, Volinsky Oblasti and Vrivno, and everybody else just lost to the worldliness because in my definition, clapping, raising hands, all of this stuff was world. And so it was very difficult breaking point to kind of understand that, you know, God is a little bit bigger than just not clapping or not raising your hands during worship. And so, um, and then we had first youth pastor for six months, he quit. His wife was pregnant. There were seven of us in the youth ministry. We drove his wife crazy. And uh, he quit the moment she gave birth. So he just stopped coming to the youth service. I took over the youth ministry for about a month. We had another youth pastor that was there. He was a charismatic, hardcore charismatic guy from Siberia. And uh, he had a fight with the pastor six months into being a youth pastor of ours because we did not dance in the church. And so he left. I remember that fight because it happened on the way from Spokane to Tri-Cities. They were hashing it out. We're literally teenagers, like 15-year-olds. Yeah. And we're like eavesdropping on this con- adult <laughs> conversation <laughs> fight. And there's nothing like Pentecostal fights. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it makes street fights like nothing. Praise so, I mean, God, am I right? Yeah. <laughs> this is like, we're like, oh my God, bloodbath. And so he, I remember we, my pastor dropped him off. And he, that was the last time he came to church. And I'm, I turned 16. And my pastor, who's my uncle, he looks at me and he said, you're the next um, youth leader, whatever the name. And so um, I was so excited. I was like, finally, you know, I got my own ministry. And then six months later, and that's when I quit. Um, I quit already in my mind. It it was so hard. Honestly, it was just six, seven cousins. It was not going anywhere. 
I had absolutely no uh, preparation for ministry. I didn't know it's going to be that hard. I had no idea. They, these guys didn't respect me, okay? And I was all about respect, you know? I'm literally 16-year-old, okay? I'm demanding respect, you know? I can't move as a minister until I get respect. And they absolutely did not respect me. And then where the straw broke the camel's back is I, I had a very difficult time speaking English. I mean, it's only three years in America, and I'm trying to preach in English. Mm-hmm. Uh, seven kids. And then uh, one of the, is not my cousin, some kind of a third, fourth cousin, his brother comes in to pick him up, and he was drunk. And so he starts making fun of me when I am uh, trying to, my English struggles now, imagine this, you know, 20 years ago. And, uh, and he publicly is correcting my English. And a man, I, I was so embarrassed. And so I remember I finished my sermon very quickly. And my cousins are laughing. <laughs> you know, they're getting a lifetime of fun here. And so I went to the bathroom. Uh, my cousin Ilya was playing the music. And I honestly I told God, I said, I'm done. This is not for me. I'm not called to speak. Nobody cares about me. Nobody cares about your word anyway. And I said, God, make a hole in this bathroom. Hide me there and don't bring me back until your son comes back. <laughs> and uh, God never made the hole. But that night something happened. Uh, my family came to pick us up to take us to home because I didn't have a license at the time. I had a license, but I didn't drive, something along those lines. So I had my own chauffeur. My parents nice. picked me up, picked up the pastor. <laughs> Imagine, I mean, this is, this, is, this is as good as it gets. And so they, we went to a Winko grocery store. They went to get groceries Thursday night, remember it like yesterday. And uh, they all left. I didn't have a cell phone at the time. We only had these house phones, you know, like the, the ones yeah. that you dial. Mm-hmm. And so there was no cell phone. So I'm planning a conversation I'm going to have with my uncle, my pastor, who I'm going to tell him that I quit. And I'm rehearsing the conversation. I'm honestly crying because I'm so disappointed of God and ministry. And I hear a voice from God. It wasn't audible, but it changed the trajectory of my life. And this is what he said. He said, look at the store. And he says, you see how people are walking in empty, walking out full of carts, full of groceries. He says, if you don't quit, one day you will pass through the church where people from all around the world will come. They will come empty, but they will leave full. They will come broken. They will leave healed. They will come bound, but they will leave free. And he says, it will be in a big warehouse and thousands and thousands of people will be impacted. I'm 16. MySpace was the time was very popular. Honestly, this was so real. I would say this was first time I heard God. I never made the call to my pastor. Um, and that point, something marked me. And uh, anytime the ministry got hard, because it only got harder after that, it did not get better. I wish I could say there was a breakthrough. It didn't. Nothing changed. Things actually just got worse. And uh, But I would go to that parking lot, and I would say, God, you told me. And Lord, I believe that you called me. And so, um, and that's what really kept me going, is that, that sense of a call of God. And um, from 16 to about 27, is that's when uh, things, were, things were tough. And then at one particular time, there was stuff that just kind of, changed in the ministry things grew um, some stuff went viral and then one thing led to another some invitations start coming in and just and the rest is history yeah when you said when the ministry got hard and i'm sure it's not super easy right now but for people that are involved and when they <coughs> hit those hard moments because i think for a lot of people that are involved in youth ministries and churches overall i think the initial dream and the vision is you watch these big crusades and everything I'm like man I want to be part of that I want to mm. I want to change the world and then a moment comes and it's kind of like man it's not that easy what what helped you to keep going we're like hey 
I don't see any fruit now, mm-hmm. but I'm going to be, you know, one, yeah, step, you know, one step after another, one day at a time. Because I'm sure a lot of people, you know, maybe had not as vivid visions or goals. But, but honestly, like, it's, it's not, it was just, uh, trust me, when I was going through that, I felt like the devil was questioning. See, the wilderness will put a question mark where God put an exclamation mark. In the wilderness, we will always doubt because it's dark seasons, mm-hmm. what God made clear in the light. And so um, it, I would say three, three things that was really, honestly, one of them was a sense of a call. I really felt. Um, now, did I doubt that during hard times? Yeah, mm-hmm. of course I doubted that. But I didn't fall into unbelief, meaning what I, what I rejected that that on that parking lot wasn't God. That my pastor, the fact that he said for me to do it, that he's mistaken, he's just using his little nephew. And so there was a sense of a call. And I always tell young people um, that if you go into ministry with an, an idea of a career, you'll be extremely disappointed when hard times come. Mentality of a career, which was exactly what happened with the full-time ministry right now in the United States, mm-hmm. it has become a career. The difference yeah. between career and the calling is this, is the career you choose, calling chooses you. That's why most of the people who have a calling a full-time ministry, they will tell you that they resisted it at first. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, I dreamed of that. There was a desire, but it wasn't a dream. It was more of like God was pulling and they were fighting against it. And so the sense of a call is what really is, I believe, is what really kept me going. It's knowing that this is what I'm called to do. And that sense of a call did the second thing, is that I had no plan B. Mm-hmm. Like literally had no plan B. I actually had, trucking. Nope. I had no plan B. I had no plan B with the job. I had no plan B. So if I would, if I could use these words, and I'm going to use words, you know, we use in the culture. If I would fail in this, that's it. I'm done. Mm-hmm. So um, I couldn't go to construction. I wasn't good at it. I wouldn't go to trucking. And so for me, I never made a plan B for myself. And that was the only thing that I did. Um, and it made, made, made the struggle harder. Mm-hmm. But then it made it easier because it's like that story, I think it was Napoleon who took his army and they were so exhausted, he, they couldn't fight anymore. And I think they came upon this one island and he could, he could see already, they were so happy with the victory. The day, previous victories, they didn't even were motivated. So in the morning, he burned all their ships. Mm-hmm. And so he, they came out on the ship and he says, if we don't win this one, he says, we're just going to drown. So he says, it's death or drowning. He says, you guys choose. And then he said, but either way, he says, you're going to have to win. And so, and it's that component that I felt like for me what made it easier. Where I see a lot of guys, they're jumping into ministry for, to try. For me, it wasn't a trial. Mm-hmm. It was honestly this trust that he, it's, well, I'm doing this for him. Um, I'm doing this because I feel a sense of call. And this sense of call came because of also my, my eyesight. I had a very difficult childbirth as, as a child when I was born. My optical nerve was damaged from what I was told. And I developed extremely migrant headaches. And I developed extreme chronic insecurity. And as a teenager from those 13 to 15, and those 2-3 years, I told God, if he takes care of these two things, I will do whatever he tells me to do. And so uh, my headaches, if he takes them away, and if he takes away this ugly feeling that I was worthless and I was no good and I'll never amount to anything, I was so chronically shy to talk to people. You have no idea. Mm-hmm. I would skip classes because I was embarrassed to stand in front of a group of people. I was I was stutter. I would go like in hot flashes of cold and 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 and, and hot um, because I was so shy of people. And God, I believe supernaturally, but gradually took that away. So when that call resounded, I honestly, I said yes. Um, but I could not say no after what he did. And so that no plan B really helped me not to go back. And number three, 
is is honestly uh, fueling yourself regularly with God's presence to get you through that day, through that week, through that month. It's really kind of like that feeling, spiritually filling your life with Him um, to get you through it. Because I, I didn't see light at the end of the tunnel for a while. I knew something could happen. I knew breakthrough could happen. I knew we were promised. I know we prayed, we fasted, we prophesied, it, did all the whole nine yards. And I tried to work my best because I was full-time in ministry. So, like, you know, guys who are volunteering, they could excuse it and they say, you know, well, if I could only do it full-time, you know, then I would really have a breakthrough. Mm-hmm. See, I didn't have that excuse because I was full-time and I still couldn't get that uh, breakthrough. People say, well, my church is limiting me. My church wasn't limiting me. My pastor gave me a credit card to the, or debit card to the church and he says, there's no limit on the budget. And he let me do whatever we wanted to do to reach more people. I mean, we did Fog Machine. We did Fear Factor. We did Eating Worms on the Fear Factor. We did boxing matches. Your church services? Yeah. Youth services, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I I mean, you name it, I did it. And mm-hmm. stuff. So caskets. I brought a motorcycle. The car got stuck in the lobby, um, and then I mean, I did illustrative messages. We did a disco one time um, with a disco ball. I've never in my life danced. I don't even know how to dance. The only thing I do is <laughs> jump up and down. That's not dancing, okay? And so nobody showed up to the disco. But we did, you know, <laughs> spreading flyers in the park, flooding my school. I almost got kicked out of the school because I posted a thousand flyers in the school without permission, and it's a second largest high school. So I mean, we did we did everything, and it's just still it wasn't effective. We were on local TBN three times a week mm-hmm. uh, between some of the most powerful like. Parsley, T.D. Jake's moments, and the church still didn't grow. Why do you think it didn't? Which before I interrupt, which church was this, and like how far in the timeline are we? Because we just went through, say, the start, mm-hmm. middle of the ministry, and say now, so like he how he became a youth leader at sixteen. <clears throat> so that's him being youth leader. So let's say all of this fear factors and all of that happening, kind of from sixteen till mm-hmm. I would say when did, when is the time that we gave the sacrifice? 2014, uh, 14, yeah. I would say there was these little moments where things kind of got a little bit better, where some people would get saved, uh, but it didn't last very long. And the challenging part is that the churches, um, we have two Russian churches. People did not join our church from those two, because most Russian churches, they grow through transfer growth. And so in the, in the last 20 years, we have, I could think of two families. There's a third one probably is coming right now from those churches, three Russian churches and only three families in 20 years mm-hmm. that joined our church. So our church never grew from the other Russian families coming to our church. They didn't like their church. I mean, they dissed about it. I was in the gym all the time. They literally cursing their pastor, but still wouldn't leave. Is so, do you think it's because yours was so much different from what they're yeah, used to? Maybe. And I, I think also there was a spiritual component to it. I think God did not allow that. Mm-hmm. Because um, God wanted our church to grow from people who don't know Him first and foremost, um, and so and, and I'm glad I was kind of envious because I you know I looked at these churches I'm not going to name names where they started as like 500 people you know in the opening I was like man and while their church is growing the rest of the six churches or pastors are taking antidepressants because you know <laughs> five churches are like yeah. closing the doors while one church has a breakthrough and does conferences on how to do church growth and uh, the rest of the churches are literally dying so, and I don't think that's a church growth. I think that's a transfer growth. That's like moving money from your savings to your checkings. You didn't get richer. Um, your account got richer, one account, but the other one didn't. So I think that God doesn't, heaven doesn't rejoice through that, even though I celebrate that. But our church didn't grow through that. And so, um, and I would say it was, it was about three years into our marriage um, is when the, there was a change that started to take place. So this was about seven, seven, seven years ago. What, what happened there? Um, 
I think it's many years of, I, I believe, it's easy for me to kind of pinpoint that, that last action, the tip, the everything. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't believe in that. I believe that there is a walk with God that each person does, a walk of faith, that um, God is a rewarder. And God is far more interested in letting His kingdom grow. But I do believe that God will test and God will allow so that the man doesn't get the credit and so that the God's kingdom advances and His agenda. Um, it will bring exposure to the man no matter what. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the exposure will come a lot of attacks. With that exposure will come a lot of responsibilities and a lot of pressure. Um, and so I believe it's, it's a lot of things. But the tipping point from what I saw was personally in my life, um, there was a hunger that reached its boiling point and desperation to that point where the area of my life that I was very reserved about, um, area of finances, I'm a Pharisee tither, you know, like my parents taught me, even though we grew up in the Pentecostal church, my dad always taught taught me to tithe, but I was never a sacrificial giver. Um, I actually only saw TBN people and people over there who talked about it, and I always saw that as a manipulation. It's a money gimmick. It's a, it, just, it always rubbed me the wrong way. And the Holy Spirit put on my heart. Um, but it was listening to somebody preaching who also reached a similar situation to take everything that we had. At that time, it was $10,000 on the church salary, which was minimum wage, or a little bit, maybe 50 cents above minimum wage. Um, it took us a long time to save that money, very long time. It was to build our own house, and uh, we felt, me and my wife, that to take a year and not only give that money away to the missions, but to each month give money away and to set ourselves before God for God to move in our church in salvation of people. I did not want money. I did not want a house. I did not. Honestly, like, there's that boiling period that it reached. It wasn't that I prayed more. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that I fasted more. Like when this, But in that area, I honestly felt like something died. And... Um, and four months later, things got worse for us in ministry, and things got worse financially. Because um, you started giving? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I started to struggle financially, and it's for the first time in my life. Like, I've always, I've always had enough. Mm-hmm. You know, I was always blessed. Not a lot, but just enough. And then this time, we started to have a lot of problems, uh, serious problems, almost like spiritual problems. And so, and I really believe it was a test. And so, and God was waiting for me to die really to die to myself, to die to my ego, to my pride. And he was taking the grape and crushing it because he wanted to produce wine out of it. He wanted to produce something of his own. And uh, and I remember that conversation. I remember that thing was on the, in, uh, in Walmart, that that picture of pretty much that, that moment when that thing was happening. And um, because we were wiring $1,000 a month uh, to the missions, we didn't have a thousand dollars to save a month. Mm-hmm. It was supernatural. People were started to give. It was the first time I started to experience miracles, financial miracles. But it wasn't for me. <laughs> it was so we can give. <laughs> and so and uh, and then somebody. I remember one person came and got saved. That person still comes to our church. Married to my cousin now. Two weeks later, he brought two people, and then it kind of started to. And now I don't, I don't remember a service in the last X amount of years. This was 2015. I don't remember a service where somebody did not get saved. Wow. And to me, that's the biggest miracle. Because prior to that, it was years before somebody would get saved. We would have two years without water baptisms. Because, mm-hmm. you know, because we didn't have a lot of Christians, so we didn't have a lot of Christians to baptize. Yeah. You know, because a lot of churches, they don't see you. Kids growing up. Yeah, so we didn't have a lot of kids. Place. Yeah, we didn't have that. So we didn't have the luxury of numbing our little, the fact that God is not doing anything with that. And so we were honestly bare bones. And so, um, and then we started breaking cultural barriers of 
you know, English-speaking people, American people, Hispanic people getting saved, joining our small groups, becoming leaders, um, intermarrying, joining our staff, becoming part of the board of trustees, becoming part of the pastoral team. And so, like, now we're past that where, you know, we see that it's a church. If you walk in, you, you won't say our church is Russian. Uh, when American people walk in, they don't say it's a Russian church. When Hispanic people walk in, they don't say it's a Russian church because it's so intertwined now. And, and God really, in the process of that giving, God started to honestly um, move in healing uh, a lot more in our ministry. I started to see healings a lot more than I've seen before and deliverances. And then um, and the other component that, is, uh, that was really uh, good also is the social media just kind of took off. Mm-hmm. It was uh, one video that went viral. It's called Four Things That Killed the Fire of God on Facebook that kind of changed the trajectory of our ministry on Facebook and YouTube. And then another thing went viral, and then another thing, and then doors start opening in American churches overseas. And then, But I was already traveling even before to Slavic churches, mainly Slavic mm-hmm. churches. But that really opened the doors to some of the very, very renowned ministers in the world. Um, and... And yeah, but it kind of happened. Same thing. We were faithful uploading for years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 70 views, 100 views, you know, 150. That was like a breakthrough. Mm-hmm. And so, and then when that blew up, you know, then, you know, 10,000, 20,000, 100,000 became kind of like normal. How did you guys get over the hurdle? They said you were still, you know, probably, you know, much better with your English by now. You're a youth leader, you know, a couple of years in. But then to not be, quote unquote, Slavic church, but what about your uncle, your senior pastor? What has his English, and how did that go from him being an older guy and mm-hmm. in not being a Russian church? Mm-hmm. Where does that put your we, uncle? We never, we never aimed not to be a Russian church. Mm-hmm. Like I see these Slavic churches who feel like being Slavic is some kind of a plague. Mm-hmm. It's not, or some kind of a curse, you know, like uh, leprosy. Name him. Huh? Huh? <laughs> name him. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's trying to cleanse themselves. On, oh, name the churches? Yeah. <laughs> well. <laughs> this will go viral. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. But I, I sometimes meet these people who are like, you know, they're, they're so obsessed. So I, I don't have a problem with Slavic people. Yeah. My wife is Russian. I'm Ukraine. Ukrainian. But our problem is that we did not see a lot of Russian people in our community who did not know the Lord. And we saw most of the people who were English-speaking, and majority of them were Hispanic because our city, Pasco, is 70% Hispanic. Oh, wow. 70%. So this is Kenwick right now, but we're, we're in Pasco. 70% is Hispanic. So we were, honestly, we never focused on saving Mexicans or white people. It was always whoever's there, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And so I, we never cared about not being Slavic. Okay. It, so I see this obsession with we just wanna, don't want to be Slavic. What's the point? The goal is not that. The goal is not that the Americans will not call us Slavic. That wasn't even the goal. The goal is that people will get saved, that people will be pastored, that people will be developed, and that people will be deployed in, in our ministry. And that was the harder one. Getting them saved was one thing. Getting them stay afterwards was a lot challenging. Did it take some time? Yes. Um, with time... It started first with the youth ministry. Mm-hmm. Wednesday night is where the youth ministry was, where, where I was the youth pastor. That's when the things started to grow on Wednesday nights first. Um, they would come to Wednesday nights, get saved, but they would not come to Sunday mornings. And we were okay with that. On Sunday mornings, we would have translation. My pastor, my uncle was tre- preaching with translation. And we were okay with them not coming to Sunday mornings because we knew that it's not necessarily very easy. So we started small groups. So as long as they were on the youth service and they were in small groups and they were in prayer and they gave and 
participated in other activities in the church. But if they wouldn't come to Sunday morning, we didn't push it. Mm-hmm. We didn't push it. Until there came a point where a pastor noticed that people on Wednesday night were four times more than on Sunday morning. With the attendance? In attendance. Oh, wow. Wednesday night, we would see 10 salvations. On Sunday morning, we would go for 10 months without salvations. So then the pastor came. Now, mind you, before this happened, we were telling the pastor how to run Sunday mornings. When our, our Wednesday nights, you know, barely had any people. We were telling him that he needs to change Sunday mornings because that's the only reason why nobody comes to our youth services is because our Sunday morning church is super religious and is super official and super Russian. Mm-hmm. And so on my pastor, who's my uncle, he's a very wise man. You know, he put me on a church staff when I was 16, okay? Till this day, he's not on the staff. Like not on the payroll? No, now we put him on the housing uh, mm-hmm. payroll. We did. <laughs> but he didn't. He wasn't. He wasn't. He had his own business. He still has his own business. And so we now put him on the housing allowance. But until that time, he never took a dollar from a church. He put me at 16. I did not know what to do in the church staff. I was like, what do you do? I'm like, I know what you do in construction. You know, your boss tells you, hold a hammer. And da, da, da. I was like, what do you do at church? He's like, you just figured it out. He's like, go to other churches and figure it out. So he puts me on the staff. So we're telling him now that on Sunday morning, we need to change from translation. He needs to do English uh, instead of translation. Uh, translation and Russian and all this stuff and guess what our pastor does he actually switched to English oh, now wow. his English was harder to understand than his Russian translation <laughs> I love you pastor if you ever listen to this we love you so then we got frustrated with his English so we're like hey pastor the translation did not work the English doesn't work and so here we are we're cons- me and his oldest son are telling him how to run the church and he politely set us down and he said Chlopci uh, he said your brilliant ideas they don't work for your youth service. Why are you sticking your nose into Sunday morning? Mm-hmm. So it was a beautiful, nice uh, reality flash. And so we stopped touching Sunday morning completely, and we let Sunday morning self-destruct. Yeah. <laughs> we and let how, it, and uh, how did Wednesdays uh, run, run. No, that's when the Wednesdays took off, when the youth service took off. My pastor would never miss a youth service, though. Mm-hmm. He would always come to youth service and never sit in the front, always sat in the middle which is a big thing. Never asked for a microphone, never once preached on the youth service. Mm-hmm. And so we would honor him and then we wouldn't because he just kind of blend in sometimes with the youth. And it was kind of weird because new kids would come, they would get saved and they would welcome the pastor to the youth <laughs> service. Hey, welcome, sir. Uh, is this your first time? <laughs> He's like, excuse me. <laughs> I built this church. And uh, then came a point where my pastor sits us down and he said, guys, we need to switch Sunday mornings. Because um, what's happening on the youth service, we want to see something on Sunday morning. We said, Pastor, no, we love Sunday mornings. I mean, there, nobody's coming there. Mm-hmm. But uh, he's like, the pastor's like, I know you guys are telling the youth not to come there. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, it's harder for them to understand. And so, and that's when I turned 30 and he asked me um, and our team to transition from youth service to Sunday morning. And so we started to, I started to preach. Because before that, I, I wouldn't preach. I on purpose wouldn't preach on the Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. I only preached on Wednesday night. And so, because it was, one service was enough for me a week. So we had other youth leaders. And so then he stepped down from the pulpit. And he would preach only once a month. And then he stepped down completely and he wouldn't preach at all. So now he preaches about once a year. Mm-hmm. And that's when I schedule him. Yeah, a, a lot, he gave a his ministry up. Uh, I mean, I'm telling you, he gave that's up his not, ministry. That's not easy to do uh, no, and he's he's very young, and he's very young, and so we honor him. We honor him um, financially, personally, mm-hmm. uh, his sons, and this um, to young people. I just want to kind of mention that uh, we really, I really felt the Lord put on my heart four years ago to financially sponsor my pastor in from uh, as as individual and then as a church we started to um, also help him uh, he gave his life 
so that we can rise in that way. He stepped away from the spotlight at a very young age. A lot of guys his age who don't preach as good as he does. He, my pastor can preach the paint off the walls. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they're holding on to the portfel, holding on to the pulpit. Literally, people already helping them to get up on the stage and they're still holding on. They're not delegating. My pastor delegated ministry at a very, very tender age. And today, you know, we bring joy to him because he sees us and we treat him as a father today. Um, we, you know, listen to his counsel. We listen to his advice. And he's, you know, we stand on his shoulders. But today we, we bring him that, if I could use that credit, that honor. Mm-hmm. And then also we sponsor him financially. Got it. A question. So you were very blessed to have a pastor where he's like, hey, try stuff out on 100%, Wednesday night. 100%. All of this. He pushed what, me. What about the youth leaders that, let's say, that are in the church and the pastor is like, no, Wednesday nights have to look like our Sunday mornings. Don't, don't you dare change anything on Wednesday nights. And saying a young guy, passionate, wants to you know, change the world. And he's like, this is what this you know, generation needs. This is the style, the culture. This is what mm-hmm. it needs to be for them to even come and attend. And the pastor's like, no, don't you dare try that. That's too loud. That's too quiet. You know, mm-hmm. It has to look you know, similar to Sunday mornings. And for those leaders, how do they navigate of trying to influence people around them or you know using the wednesday night services to influence the younger generation well first of all it's a very difficult and painful situation very difficult and i do not claim to know how that feels because i never had that my pastor i was very fortunate to have the other side where my pastor pushed it um but from my experience this is what i would say having all of the freedom that i had um we still didn't have breakthrough so could it be that the breakthrough in the ministry doesn't really depend on the freedoms that we have, hmm. but on dependence on the Holy Spirit? And I could stand by that today and tell you that I really believe that the secret to God blessing the ministry is God. Hmm. I really believe that. You can have that without lights. You can have that without the beautiful sound. You can have that without certain freedoms. But you cannot have that without the Holy Spirit. There are people in jails. You know, if you read the book of martyrs who would go to jail and who would witness to their captors and win them to Christ, having absolutely no leverage, mm-hmm. no influence. I mean, they were the prisoners. How, how is that possible? I mean, there were, history says one of the apostles was led by the, by the soldiers to his crucifixion. And on the way to the crucifixion, he led those two soldiers who t- together died with him. How could somebody do that? You know, there is no advantage there. There's no like, there's no influence there. He's a he's literally a criminal. He's a victim here, and so I really believe that what makes Christianity different than any other place is the fact we have something that the world does not have. Is we have the Holy Spirit. So I tell young people all the time is that you can have revival without smoke machine. You cannot have revival without miracles. And your pastor did not ban miracles. Um, cancers can, can be healed. Uh, demons can be expelled. Uh, God can still be worshipped even if it's not done in that style. So I would say this, to submit and to paint within your boundaries, paint within, you know, color within your, within your box. Do what you can with what you have. And then as God begins to conform, conf- conform that ministry, He will open doors. If you don't do that, and you don't, so I, this is what this week, for example, tomorrow we're going to be teaching our interns. This is the last week before they go back home. And my teaching is going to be this. Come home to start revival, not revolution. Mm-hmm. I don't believe 
in teaching young people to start revolutions in the church. Every revolutionary was crucified. And so God wants us to start revivals in our churches. Not the revolution is when you rebel. Mm-hmm. It's when you rise again. You're trying to make your pastor into some, something else. He's not. You're trying to confront the pastors instead of serve and then learn, earn your right to have more freedom. Have a dialogue and conversation. Earn the trust of the church. If God called you to be there, you need to stay there and serve that church and paint within the lines that you were given. If you're not called to be there, don't ruin nobody's experience. Leave the church today and go somewhere else where they give you that freedom. But if that's what God called you to do, oh, but God called me to change the church. I'm going to tell you one thing how you can change the church. It will take a little bit longer than it is to change your character. It's taking you a lifetime to change your character. It's going to take a lifetime to change a church. Mm-hmm. And you never do it by pointing the church's faults. You're doing it by earning the right to speak into areas the church is currently struggling or ignorant about by being faithful with the areas you were entrusted in. So if the church has prayer meetings and the young people never show up to those prayer meetings, but they tell what the church needs to be doing, they're never consistent, committed, or faithful with the small things that they've been entrusted. But they always tell the pastor how to run his church. The pastor will crucify those people, you know, and he's going to be right to do so because if they'll come to my church, I'll do exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so they, they did not earn the right to speak about those areas. They might be 100% right. They just don't have the right to speak about those things because they did not serve um, the church instead of they rebuilt it. And if they really feel like, hey, I can't be here. This is not right. Yeah, go find a different church. Um, you know, church doesn't belong to pastor. Your church does not belong to your pastor. Church is not a Colombian cartel where you can't get out without being shot. I mean, I know some Russian churches are Colombian <laughs> cartel. It's like, if you leave, we're going to curse you and destroy your reputation in former Soviet Union. And so, But most churches, they'll let you go because you belong to Jesus and go serve somewhere else and, 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 and be, be there. But it, it's, it's hard. I'm going to tell you one thing. It's not easy to serve under a pastor. I... Um, if a leader is watching or listening right now, I would tell them to, li- to read the book called The Tale of Three Kings. Okay. It's a, it's a surgery. That book is a surgery. Because I had, I'll be honest with you, you think we, we had the freedom, mm-hmm. but we still had certain things, even till this day. You know, when you have an Ukrainian, Russian, older pastor, no matter how charismatic they are, mm-hmm. okay, they have some ideas that young people have a very difficult time embracing. There were moments, honestly, I really felt like my pastor was not my mentor, he was my tormentor. <laughs> it was like, he tormented me with some of his ideas, and, and I really had to keep my heart pure, mm-hmm. honoring, and sometimes wait it out to see if some of those ideas will <laughs> yeah. wither away, and then sometimes, honestly, embrace him, and just kind of not tell young people, hey, this is what he said, but I totally disagree with it and stuff. So, But to really take it as my own and say, hey, no, this is how we're going to do it. Why? It comes from him and he'll, he'll deal with the consequences later. But, but I'm just going to, I'm a man under authority. And so like we even have a situation that's coming up in the Race to Deliver conference that honestly, like I, I don't necessarily fully understand uh, one, one particular segment. It has nothing to do with service or deliverance, and, but he's extremely passionate for the last three months. I feel like that's the only thing he wants for this conference, and uh, we're going to make it happen and stuff. And uh, we're going to make it our own, and after Race to Deliver, I'll tell you what that idea was. Dang, I want to know. <laughs> I was going to ask him, like, hey, can we know the idea so we can look out for it? I'm like, oh, that's Pastor Vasily's idea. He was silly. The Book of Life. Yeah. The Book of Life and the prayer, clo- uh, the prayer cloths. Prayer cloths in the Book of Life. Oh, he's gonna get in trouble life. with yeah, with prayer cloths. What are some mm-hmm. so? What are some examples of say ideas like before, say that, pastor requested or 
or requested of you to to do when you clothes. I mean, a, a, a clothing style of clothes as well. Yeah. I mean, a lot of them I submitted till this day. Uh, hairstyle. Um, he really, really butchered me, on, and I say butchered me about my preaching styles, um, getting humor out. Um, uh, speaking too fast, speaking too slow, speaking too long, speaking too short, um, speaking nonstop, like, uh, and then losing energy at the end, um, uh, preaching too much theory, little practice, demons not manifesting in the services for three months in a row, um, people not getting healed. I remember, you know, there was a time where somebody didn't get saved for two weeks, and he was he really like he was hard. He's like, what happened? He's like, you, you need to figure this out with God and stuff. And I was like, he's like, there's, is, there's like, is there sin in your camp? You know, I was like, oh, Jesus. I'm like, come on, I'm, I don't save people. But he was very, very specific uh, with things about my weight. I remember when he corrected me about my weight, he says, soldiers are not overweight. He says, you're a soldier. And he says, you're gaining weight and stuff. So very, very specific uh, concerning things personally. And then also on the ministry, but typical traditional Mm-hmm. things that um, older people would have concerning even music sometimes. Even though my pastor is very, if I could say, open-minded a lot about a lot of these things, a lot more open-minded. But um, but he still had certain things that he would disagree with and we would kind of submit and... And yeah, and but that's that's my church. He's my pastor, and and uh, and I'm called to be with him for life. And so, and I really feel that. And we'll get into the race you brought up, race to deliver, and demons, and manifestations, and healings, all of that stuff. But a little bit of niche. Uh, and you mentioned your preaching styles and stuff, because I've listened to quite a few of your sermons. First, first thing is, I think your sermons are very memorable. And I was every time I listened, do you? Yeah, and I was like. Do you plan like the one-liners or like the rhyming words ahead of time? Yes. Or because I was like, if he plans a lot of these like sayings and kind of like, because he, he catches on, it's catchy, mm-hmm. it's memorable. Tweetable. I think, um, yeah. And now after like I listen to the sermon, I'm like, oh, I remember it for a long time. But second, I think a more uh, even b- yeah, a better part about your sermons, I think a lot of times they all, all podcast other guys, and I'm like, oh man, I learned a very deep theological term, and I'm like, it still leads me to better worship God. I'm like, oh man, that's amazing truth about our God. I think with your sermons, with majority that like that I listen to, like after I'm always like reminded of it's the Holy Spirit, like prayer, Holy Spirit, prayer, mm-hmm. Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very good balance because I think mm-hmm. growing up in a Pentecostal church as well, but then I think I personally swung more of like, you know, more conservative, kind of like healing, demonic stuff that's way too messy. I don't want to deal with that kind of like mm-hmm. too much, even with the whole TBN and all those dudes. Mm-hmm. I'm like flying, you know, four jets, you know, owning four jets at a time because he's healing somebody. I'm like, that doesn't sound legit to me when there's people getting I could, murdered. I can only get one jet. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> Just one. <laughs> and then, but then lately mm-hmm. I was like, started totally like thinking about like myself, like I guess. And so when it came to with the whole, like even lately with, while making movement in the Slavic community, I think you started making uh, kind of a hungry gen, especially with the, from the community that I'm in. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, a hungry generation. You know, like all this b- bad stuff. And then I'm like, wait, so and if, it was easy to join the camp of like, yeah, those people are crazy. Who knows what they're doing? And for some reason, the illustration that came to my mind is I was like, wait, I think Vlad and hungry generation is way too crazy for me. They're weird. I don't want to do anything to do with them. And then what I, for, for some reason, I felt like it was very, like, personal for me is the illustration that came to my mind. I was like, when you watch, like, the older movies, and let's say there's a lady walking through a town, and they're like, it's a witch. And everybody's like, it's a witch, it's a witch. Mm. We have to hang her. And everybody kind of starts shouting, and you're like, 
those people are crazy. They didn't even ask her who she is. Mm. They kind of just, you know, stoned her without asking questions. And I felt like that's where I was joining the camp of like, dude, Triple Wall is weird. Vlad's weird. Yeah, stone them. Get get them out of town. And I'm like, wait, I didn't even ask Vlad, Shapoval, who the heck, you know, they are. You know, they never got a chance to explain themselves. It's like, I saw a clip. It was weird. So cast them out. No questions asked type of deal. And then so like even for me, I became more curious. Even like in your ministry, it was like, man, what are these guys about? And then another line that kind of came for me that was kind of like, man, hey, different is I was like, okay, Vlad is the whole healing, demon stuff, casting out, delivering. I'm like, that's weird. You know, people are going to come, non-believers, they're going to look at that stuff, they're going to run away from it. But then the counter argument came. I was like, okay, I believe in an almighty God. What's more weird, for somebody to live 50 years that believes in the healing, all-powerful God. And never, saying, see, and never sees it. And never see a healing. So I'm looking at the guy like, you believe in a healing God and you've never seen a healing? Is that more weird than the guy that... Hey, you believe in the healing God, and it's weird to heal people. I mean, it's weird. It's scary. I don't want to see You're it. And, and then, so I was like, man, I feel like I'm more on the side of like, yeah, I believe God no. can heal, you're, but never pray for a legitimate you're, healing. You're weird. I'm wild. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, the people who walk and who believe in all this, Jesus did five things. He preached. He taught. He healed. He cast out demons. He made disciples. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you see that regularly. Disciples did these five things too as well. They taught, they preached, they healed the sick, they cast out demons, and they also made disciples. So it's not weird when these things happen. It's weird when they don't happen. It's wild. When they happen, they are wild. I, I'll, I'll agree with you. Mm-hmm. Some things are harder to sometimes explain. But this is the thing. The fear that many people have, and you outlined the fear, what will happen if non-Christians will come in? Now, in your guys' case, you don't have to worry about because non-Christians don't come. Mm-hmm. In my case, non-Christians do come in, interestingly, and the church still grows from non-Christians becoming Christians. Mm-hmm. So maybe, perhaps, this secret that Jesus had, which was not Google ads, non-profit status, and giving out free donuts, um, and really making it taking all the juices out of the gospel and hiding deliverances, hiding healings, and just feel uh, preaching good, you know, Buddhist kind of a type of uh, self-help uh, messages that Buddhists teach, that, they, that other people preach. But Jesus demonstrated the kingdom of God, and people were drawn to Him because of that. And we see that is what the Holy Spirit uses to bring people to salvation. Uh, if persecution is to come in, if you look at the Chinese church, Chinese church, one of the characteristics that helps them to survive and thrive without social media, without magazines, without that, is that people get healed, people get delivered. And um, I don't pursue that. Please understand that. What I'm pursuing first and foremost is salvation of people. When people get saved, um, a lot of times, stuff like that happens. And I just want to do what Jesus called me to do. Pray for the sick, cast out devils, make disciples, and then preach the gospel and teach the believers. And so I'm just trying to do the best that I can. Now, do I get it right? You bet I don't. Um, do I grow? Yeah. But I will definitely have a difficult time taking advice from people who are not doing it at all. You know, so I want to learn from people who are actually doing it. Like, do, do we do it the right way? Probably not and stuff. So, but the best way to do it 
to, to, to for us to learn is for somebody to show it the right way and not just simply say, well, you're, you're doing this wrong and stuff. It's not like, but you're not doing it at all. You're only criticizing and stuff. So how can I learn from you if you're not doing it at all and stuff? And so, and plus I'm like, do people get saved in your ministry? Did really? When you took the miracles, signs and wonders, did people really get converted? Are there homosexuals who are now straight and who are married who because you're so ashamed or you're so afraid to deal with the topic head on with the spiritual forces. The world is not afraid of supernatural. If we think they are, we should go visit the local movie theater. Every other movie is supernatural. Uh, Marvel is all supernatural. The Thor, that's a demon and stuff. That's all supernatural. Ouija boards, all of the stuff is supernatural. The, the little Nas, the, the video that he just released, the satanic shoes, the world is completely took gloves off and presenting the demonic, not afraid of who are they going to offend, disgust, nasty, gross stuff. And they're shoving that down the throat and teenagers are drinking it like pure water. And there we are in the church thinking that, you know who is offended by supernatural? Religious people. Not the world. If it's real, authentic, and glorifies Christ, sets the captives free, brings the sick people. I'm not talking about just they all fall and shake and bake. I'm talking about real healing, okay? It does not offend the world. It usually speculates, it provokes something. It's the religious people who are used to the way things they are. They are the ones that get offended. Do you think they use, like, the words that you mentioned, like the fake shake and bake, uh, shake and fall, and they're like, hey, there's so much of that happening Mm -hmm. everywhere. So now we want to get rid of all of it. Mm, and yeah. then kind of like that's is a mistake on their side because now they're getting rid of something yeah. the Holy Spirit can genuinely mm-hmm. do, but now you kind of wash your hands clean mm-hmm. and you don't want to have nothing to do I with it. I think that. it's always said that. And it's not just only religious people. I think every person has the right to question the legitimacy mm-hmm. of uh, um, the fruit, excuse me, the fruit of that. Um, but the work of the Holy Spirit the work of the Holy Spirit, the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. It's a very, very touchy subject that I want to be very careful on how I approach that because um, with everything that's genuine, there's always a little bit of fake. There's fake tears in Pentecostal churches. There's fake repentances. There's fake um, tongues. But people get tongues because there's so much pressure that's put in. If, let's face it. In a, if you go to Pentecostal churches, the pressure to speak in tongues is so overwhelming that... Um, that some people get it without even knowing the Holy Spirit, who He is. And, and there's a lot of pressure uh, on things. And whatever you put a pressure on, people begin to experience that. Are there fake um, people falling? Are there fake um, manifestation of demons? Yeah, there's some fake. Um, are there fake conversions? You bet they are and stuff. So people who move in the supernatural have to have a hunger for the real that's greater than the fear of the fake. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's one thing that I'm driven by, is that I I just truly desire the real, and that desire is greater than the fear of the fake. But I'm also not afraid to. I don't want to police everything so much, even when people get saved right away. Every single thing, you know, I want to let people grow, let people mature, and then preach the truth, and um, and allow the Holy Spirit to move. I'm not against falling. Um, we welcome that, but but Jesus' ministry was a little bit different. His ministry was more demons falling and people falling when people got delivered. Mm-hmm. Then I believe right now there is this new, please forgive me, sexy thing 
in Pentecostal charismatic circles for everybody to fall, mm-hmm. everybody to be slain in the spirit. Um, and it's almost like this high that they're, exper- that they're seeking. Um, I don't think that's scriptural. Um, am I against, like I've truly never really fell. I got pushed a lot of times. And sometimes I, I had a courtesy fall, meaning I saw the guy was really trying hard, so I just went <laughs> down for, to help him and stuff. So, But... Um, but did I experience uh, the Lord in some of these occasions or other ones? Yeah. And I think that if we pursue what Jesus did, he healed the sick, he cast out devils, he preached the gospel, he taught the principles of the kingdom, he made disciples, and we, fo- and we take all the rest of the expressions of that, I put them a secondary or thirdly, uh, we will see better fruit. Not just emotional high, but a legitimate fruit of changed life, legitimate fruit of somebody's body was healed somebody's life was changed and so um, that's why a lot of times you know i would go and pray for people and and i would hold them from the back of their head mm-hmm. because um my goal is not for them to fall my goal is for the problems to fall for the demons to leave for if whatever the problems that they encounter god instead of just simple now the people i was in philippines i remember when in a stadium I uh, started to pray, and we started to pray for baptism of the Holy Spirit. I was about to come down and start praying for people to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I felt the Spirit prompted me and said, don't touch them. Just pray from the stage. And I remember I started praying from the stage, and people start falling all throughout this. Not not the whole sanctuary, so I wouldn't exaggerate. But like, like man, like the whole room just filled with electricity. I almost fell on the stage. It was, it was so powerful. The presence of God fell. It was a school auditorium, a lot of teenagers, and the power of God fell. That's different versus um, you push somebody. Mm -hmm. And so I think that people are a little bit tired of abuses, um, and people are tired when there is a pursuit of emotionalism. God can touch you, and you can experience Him emotionally. But when emotionalism or a high is the pursuit, instead of the person of the Holy Spirit, work of the Holy Spirit that changes person's life, and there's fruit of changed life that his family, his friends, and his church can bear witness to, the next thing that happens is we cheapen that, and we water that down. And then um, people will have a reason, honestly, to kind of second-guess it all the time. And I don't think it's the religious people's fault. I think it's my fault. I think it's people who are in the ministry, our fault, that we don't cheapen things. We don't take the holy and reduce it to the level of Holy Spirit, reducing Holy Spirit to a level of a high or an emotional experience or shaking or baking. Um, though sometimes he can really touch a person yeah. and powerfully. I mean, you've seen probably where people get filled with the Holy Spirit for three days. They can't speak any other language except tongues. They can't eat. I've seen, like, I've never experienced spiritual laughter. My, my aunt never happened in our church during a seven-day fast. She struggled with depression. God filled her. She couldn't stop literally giggling on the inside. Like, I can't explain that. Mm-hmm. I've never seen it happen again with her, but it totally uh, was set free from that. Now, does that mean that that's now a formula? I don't think so. I think but allowing the Holy Spirit to move as He, he wants to move, God's not going to violate His Word, but He will always violate my view of His Word mm-hmm. if He begins to move. And um, allowing Him to move, not being afraid of that, but carrying the fear of the Lord. And, and always, always, what I feel where people become weird, is if we lose the most important thing, which is salvation of people. Mm-hmm. The moment miracles become priority and salvation of people become, oh, they'll get saved on their own if they just see miracles. Mm-hmm. I really think that we're borderline. We're going to go from wild to weird. And I don't want to be there. Um, and I guess, and that's where I guess the, 
maybe the misunderstanding comes even to your ministry because I think when your name gets mentioned, it is mentioned with like you know deliverances and demons and mm-hmm. healings, mm-hmm. and now and is it because it comes from like a fr- critical point of view? Because let's say, oh, we don't want to give him credit for salvations, so we'll just bring up the weird demon stuff because I guess mm-hmm. where we more known from, or like let's say the the conference, let's say the conference race to deliver. Kind of, okay, let's the whole conference is ba- based around deliverance, and somebody w- would be like, "Well, why not? You know, raise to save or raise mm-hmm. to you know reach out. Mm-hmm. Why are we delivering? You know, yeah. or mm-hmm. kind of like so. I guess when your ministry, ministry gets mentioned, mm. it's more of like yeah, the healings and the, and the supernatural mm-hmm. and all of that stuff is happening, and maybe people view as salvation as secondary because maybe. Or because I'm just thinking well, out loud, uh, this catches yeah. more attention. I'm uh-huh. like, yeah, let's talk about this because no, salvation uh, is not I'm as exciting. I'm going to tell you, no, no, it has nothing to do with that. The conference, the name of the conference, it came as a sermon that I preached long, long time ago uh, when God raised one of the judges from uh, the place that they were and he anointed them and sent them back to deliver the children of Israel from their enemies. Mm-hmm. And so, and I preached this message that really sparked our youth. It was called Race to Deliver. Pretty much that God raised you like Esther to go and help your generation, pull them out. He pulled you like Moses from Egypt to send you back so you can bring people to Christ. The word deliver there, uh, the application of that was was to bring people to Christ. And so that was the thing. And then it kind of became that, that slogan. People start using that message. And then when we were doing a conference, so um, that name kind of like you know sometimes you preach a sermon it becomes kind of one of those things that kind of becomes the highlight of your ministry and so and that's really how it got stuck Um, I'm okay with being misunderstood I'm okay with being uh, criticized Um, uh, I'm I'm okay with that as long as I live up to that criticism that miracles do happen and deliverances do happen if they don't happen and I get criticized for getting deliverances that's what what my fear is Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I, I just even uh, when I went this uh, last few days I went to be with the Lord on the mountain I just came back today at noon and so and uh, you know and and it's one of the things I said Lord I don't fear if people will say Vlad is after demons Uh, Vlad casts out demons I said that's a compliment what's going to bother me is if demons don't get don't come out of people mm-hmm. you know and it's possible to have a ministry like ours and we have this particular name in some places it's good in some places it's more negative but then where you don't see the fruit of a lot of deliverances but you only see the demonic manifestations trust me it doesn't take a lot of anointing to cause demons to manifest and so but demons to leave people and their lives to be changed that's what really i'm after but all of that is to say that um our ministry is about people getting to know Jesus. And uh, if you will come to our normal Sunday services, um, they are not um, demon-hunting services. Uh, people are getting saved. People are getting discipled. Leaders are being raised. And then once a month, we have a special deliverance service where people come from different parts of the United States. It's no longer even promoted no more. People just come. They get prepared. We pray for them. Uh, we don't chase manifestations. But if they do, we, we pray for them. We don't hide them, unlike some churches in back room, somewhere on Wednesday night. And partially it's because most people never seen stuff like that. And I just don't see Jesus, you know, going to a synagogue, a person manifested, and he says, Hey, disciples, take him. Take him outside. Take him outside. Why? Because it's going to glorify the devil if he's going to le- is going to be manifesting right now. Or the demon's going to leave quickly into another person right now who is not holy enough. You know, I just don't see that in the Bible. And so I just... Just whatever they manifest, that's where we cast them out. And if it takes longer, then we take them into another room. I, I had an experience once where 
Third, the, br the brothers were pla uh, praying for a demon-possessed lady. And third, they're praying, they're praying, and she kind of like quiets everybody down. The brothers quiet down. And it was a woman, but she was speaking from like a masculine point of view. And it was in, in Russian, and she goes, Хорошо, вы хотите, чтобы я ушел? Давайте я в одного с вас зайду. The prayer erupted so loud. I was probably like... Uh, 20, 20, maybe 22 at, at that time. Yeah, I was so scared. I'm like, no, not me. But, but I guess that was going to be my uh, follow-up question on the whole doing, uh, I think, so even I think the most conservative churches are not going to be like, no, do not pray for healing, do not pray for demons. But, but it's, it's, it's the way it's done. The, yeah, it's the way it's done because I got, uh, got a chance to go to India several times with the church and they're told you like witchcraft, all that stuff, it's pretty big. And there was a wedding, like a church wedding celebration, and pastor's like, "Oh, let's go to the wedding. You know, it's my good friends. I'm gonna do do the uh, wedding stuff." We go. He does the wedding. He lays hands to pray for the couple. The lay, uh, the girl in the white dress just falls on the ground and starts. Uh, what's the word? Like a snake, slithering, slithering like a snake. And like at that moment, I'm like, okay, even in India. You know, they're, they're the witchcraft. Wedding. Yeah, yeah, wedding, but they've, like, they've, witchcraft is a lot more, you know, abundant there. But even then, they kind of like the, the, I guess his brothers, like, grabbed the girl, took her outside, prayed for her, come back in, she's like crying, you know, praying, all happy. And they're just like, all right, let's continue the wedding. <laughs> you know, they finished the wedding, everything. But my thing is, like, even in India, as prevalent, like, the whole witchcraft stuff, demonic stuff is, I'm like, okay, they took her outside. And then so, like, even with your ministry, I'm like, okay, nobody's going to say, Vlad, do not play for the, pray for the demons. But they, I guess the question is, like, is there, is there a way, let's say, or why would you choose not, why would you not choose a way to do it in a way where it's like, hey, maybe kids don't need to see this. Or maybe why do we need to do it in front of everybody? Why do we need to, you know, record and, you know, blast all over media? I guess one would explain that it's more of like a, a churchy, behind-the-scenes, deep, you know, Personal stuff. Find, why, me, why find, find me there in the Gospels. I don't think it's. I don't know if I can find it. <laughs> why not? But I guess. Maybe I mean, why did Jesus do that? I mean, think about it. He embarrassed the person when he did it publicly. He glorified the devil if he did it publicly, and children shouldn't see that. Um, he did it where it happened. Um, I, I do believe in doing it in small groups. In small groups, we, we do that. Mm -hmm. uh, we also now started to do um, up by appointments where people come in, and so. Um, we we don't see Hollywood is not afraid at um, at publicizing their their wickedness, and I'm not saying we don't do it for the sake of publicity. We pray. Now, yes, we have our cameras on. Um, the the real big reason is that I see Jesus doing deliverances where it was people were there, and that's when he did it. Um, it's just different perspective on that. Another thing what it does is that it announces the arrival of the kingdom of God on the scene. People say, well, it glorifies the demon. If deliverance glorifies the demon, then preaching glorifies the preacher. Mm. Then um, singing glorifies the worship leader. But in every instance where the deliverance happened, I've never had one case where somebody afterwards said, you know what, Vlad? I was a Christian till today, but I'm considering Satanism right now. No, I had people come in and say, Vlad, you know, I threw away sinful things. It brought the fear of God. Um, and so we, we do that to really, uh, we, we allow that, if I could say, we allow that. Do we do every single case that it's on the camera? 
we ask for their permission uh, to put it on the cameras for the testimony purpose. But if somebody gets healed of cancer, um, would you show it and would you record it and post it for the glory of God? Yeah, uh, I don't see that as being any different than somebody being rescued from the claws of darkness. And because of so much prevalence of demonic stuff in this culture, I feel the necessity and the obligation for other people to feel that there is hope there's answer and of course some people will take this the wrong way and say you know you should never be posting you know you're embarrassing them and i was like uh, you know you're, you're thinking on their behalf if they have a problem they'll, they'll let us know but if they gave us the permission um and so that's just uh, that we, we can disagree on how it's being done but one thing that i want to be sure that it's being done like that the hurting people from seattle they don't drive this they don't drive to pasco that they go to your church if it's being done um but if it's not being done and the only thing is being done is from the stage there's this very straightforward attack on somebody who's doing it but maybe differently but not scripturally wrongly. We're, mm-hmm. we're just, the problem, we're in a culture where we're extremely sensitive about our reputation, okay? That's not biblical. Mm-hmm. That's American. And so what you're bringing right now is an American thing into the gospel and stuff. And so um, where everybody cares about their image and everything, that is not in the gospel. Um, and so and, and, and I'm not against that. I'm think, I think that that's has its place and everything and stuff. So, But to impose that um, on the gospel to see like, well, Jesus, you should have not been doing that. You should have not been exposing things like that. And so I just don't, don't see that in the scriptures. It happens in other countries as well. If you go to Africa, if you go to other places, it happens publicly, even in India, not in every every place where they hide it. And we do it sometimes uh, where um, we, we take it to the room. So it's not like a rule. We constantly has to be publicized and stuff. And so people are like, oh, you're seeking glory to yourself. I'm like, really? This gets me only criticism. What kind of glory is that? I'm like, really? What kind of glory is that going to give me? Only I'm like, literally, I'm, people don't like me because of that and stuff. And so um, I want to embarrass the devil. I want to uh, help other people who are suffering. And I want people to have the fear of God. Uh, to walk in holiness and, and in righteousness. And we're honestly focused on setting the captives free. Uh, and that's our approach. It might, it might change uh, uh, in the future if, as we had more people who need to do um, get delivered and more people who are doing deliverance. So, I think the two like two important points that I caught, say, from, from hearing that, a lot of like critique from, say, churches or more conservative churches, like Slavic churches, about, say, healing or casting out demons is that it's, say, supernatural things that they're not used to, obviously, because we don't do that, say, in conservative churches. But the thing, the point, great point that you made is, like, it's so common in the secular world where supernatural things, like, literally marvel any movie, any game, anything. It's so inbred in the culture. Yeah, it's so inbred in the culture. It's like, why are you afraid? And it's public. Yeah, and it's all public. boards, like all of this stuff is public. It's not hidden. It's not like, hey, crystals and all of this stuff, uh, uh, talking to the dead and uh, and the psychics, the horoscopes. None of that is done in a secret. That's done straight on the camera. That's done straight on the screen. And that's actually right now. I mean, Saturday Night Live, the little image that they did with you know literally blaspheming the Lord Jesus Christ. It was done in front of nine million people, and that's mockery. That's the that's that's disgusting. And then. I am afraid, what, to put the devil under the bus yeah. and give him a black li- black eye in the Sunday service so that the teenagers will run back home and delete their pornography subscriptions because now they saw that the demon entered the pornography. What? Who am I trying to protect? Yeah. And then another another point, say, great point, too, is, well, afraid, afraid of, not afraid of showing that. And then the other thing is like, um, ah, what was I going to say, dude? While you're t- while you're thinking of that, 
another question, and it's kind of more like like nuanced uh, questions, and then we'll finish off on the more optimistic side or easier questions. But let's say, you know, when it comes to uh, demonic and spiritual stuff, do you think you're encountering that more, let's say, like demon-possessed people because you're open to and people know this is where they can come and be delivered? Because let's say one could be like, hey, I went to church my whole life, and I'm not, I've never seen maybe not even deliverance, but not but not even a manifestation. So I'm thinking, let's say, if there's a demon-possessed person in church and they're in service, they're, you know, singing and worshiping God, would that demon manifest there? So one could be like, wait, I've lived my whole life. I've never seen demon manifest. Mm-hmm. Let's say we're not even talking about delivered. And why is, let's say, one never even sees a manifestation, but then another guy sees them all over the place? You know, when Apostle Paul landed on the island of Matla, uh, Malta, he took the uh, sticks, put them into fire, and then a the snake came out because of the fire. And so I think that um, a woman who w- went to synagogue for 18 years never thought she had a demon, probably. Remember, she was bent, the spirit of affirmity. And Jesus walked in. And he set her free. And in fact, he actually said specifically that her problem with her back was was spiritual. Now, the woman didn't manifest in a sense. We don't see her shaking, baking, throwing up, vomiting. But we know that she was set free. Jesus delivered her. The other guy, the Bible says he walked in. The moment he started to preach. Now, this guy was in the synagogue. Synagogue, they didn't worship Buddha or Allah. They, they worshiped God. They, they worshiped one God. They read the scriptures. And uh, he was there every Saturday. Uh, probably tormented in some area in his life, maybe bound, maybe some compulsive thoughts, maybe some intrusive thoughts. And then Jesus walks in, boom, he starts manifesting. And so I've seen um, there's um, a greater measure of God's anointing that causes certain demons to not sit quietly. For example, like if you have a warm stove, you can put your hand on it. If I could make it really, really hot and I throw, put your hand on it, you'll, you're going to scream. Uh, you're gonna manifest, in the sense that yeah. you're gonna your, your reaction is gonna be why because you just and so what happens is that this is what during manifestation, a demon is touching something that is extremely hot, and he's screaming, he's tormented, and so that's why I always tell people that it's a good thing when demons are tormented. What's bad is when people are silently tormented, day in and day out, at nights during the day. They're tormented, and nobody cares, and and nobody wants to help them. But when the finally that demon that's tormented their life for years is now faced with the hot anointing of God, and he screams out, that torment is now reversed. And so remember when Jesus came to one place, and the Bible's demons told him, he says, why did you come to torment us? Mm-hmm. They tormented that man so much that he lost his mind. He was chained up. He lived in the graves. And now for the first time, these demons are being tormented you know, by Jesus. And of course, he doesn't just torment them. He casts them out. And so I believe there, there's a few components. The first one is true. A lot of times when people come with an expectation to be freed, and they know that people pray for deliverance, it plays a role. Another thing is that in, usually in those services, we, we have an expectation for deliverance. And number two is we have a confrontation. Usually in services like that, we do a special prayer of confrontation against the forces of darkness. We don't confront the people. We just confront anything that's there that's not of the Lord, that's working behind the scenes, whether it's in their soul, in their body, whatever it is. I don't care. And honestly, 
It doesn't matter. The goal is for that thing to come out and for that thing to lose the grip. And so you put these three components, the desperation of people, the expectation of ministers who are coming into the service, and we're expecting God to move. We're expecting people to be free. And then the third one is that we're confronting that. And then... um, manifestations you know they happen the people gets manifestations that's not what we rejoice in we rejoice in what's going to happen afterwards what god how god delivers people and stuff you know a guy that comes from nabil has leukemia uh his insurance spends seven thousand dollars a month blood cancer um two and a half i think two and a half years he had it uh begin to pray this very massive prayer it's not a pretty prayer it's, it's not a prayer that People start puking. People start throwing up. I don't make people puke and throw up. I mean, I didn't say anything weird or something like that. It's, it's something spiritual started to take place. So he threw up a lot of stuff, messy carpets and everything, and then uh, goes back home, goes for his regular check. He actually didn't even think, he didn't come for healing. He came for freedom. And uh, the doctor checks him, and he's like, hey, we need to take another exam. They took another exam. They take another exam. They take another exam. And shows out that he has no trace of leukemia in his body. Six months later, he goes for another exam. No trace of leukemia. I have medical reports. And now it's, I think it's about a few years now, completely wow. healed of blood cancer. And so I'll rather have puking than a wholly dignified carpet. And just so that I could not what, offend, we're not seeking the puking. Please understand, we're not seeking the manifestations. We just know that they are force, there are forces behind certain problems. They cannot be removed with medicine. They cannot be, if they could be, Jesus could have told the woman with the bent back. He says, just find a new chiropractor. You know, he could have told the father who came and says, my kid is epileptic. Ah, that's not a demon. He just need a mental doctor. You know, he could have told the, the mother who says, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. Are you sure she's demon-possessed? Are you sure she doesn't, you know, maybe she's on drugs? No, Jesus honestly believed those reports. And he says, yeah, let, let me pray for deliverance. You know, if this would have been the pastor today, he would say... You're exaggerating. What makes you think that you probably watch too much of that or too much of this and stuff? And so Jesus went ahead and he, he ministered to those people. And I just, I see that in the scriptures. I see that in practical. I wish we would see more of that in our own ministry as I desire to see more of that. And I'd rather take the criticism from people who are healthy, okay? Mm-hmm. They can criticize until their daughter or their son gets into a problem. And then the very people, I cannot tell you how many people I've met mm-hmm. who say, Vlad, we spoke against you. And then the kid starts being tormented at night. And guess where they took him? There's only one place they knew. And stuff. They quickly came. And the first thing they said, I'm, I'm so sorry. And I was like, listen, don't, don't take it to heart. I'm like, I probably said some things about myself too. And stuff. And so, and I was like, listen, we all love God and we're all growing. And there's no, there's no fear in that. I'm not, you're not attacking me. Or, and if you're attacking that, that's, that's you. And stuff. So, um, but we love God. We love hurting people. And, and we just want to, I just wish more people will help wounded, hurted people, instead of blaming, bashing them. I mean, a girl comes two weeks ago, you know, from Seattle, I won't name a church, and, you know, um, it's just, she's, she's struggling, she's tormented. She came here for deliverance. She says, I went to my pastor, and he says, if you're experiencing this, you don't have the Holy Spirit. When she described how much he fasts and prays, she's, honestly, she probably does more than this, the whole pastoral team combined in that church. Mm-hmm. How committed Literally, she's so desperate for God right now, for God to set her free. And she, she's hurting, she's suffering. And to say stuff like that to somebody who's wounded, um, I don't know, man. I, I can't live with that like that. I want to help people like that. So Yeah, no, and I, I think, yeah, personally, I'm going through that phase of, like, supernatural needs to happen. 
but kind of scared of the messiness and the criticism of like, oh man, it's it's gonna get messy. Like I said, it's gonna get wild. But would you rather have a an orderly funeral home or a messy uh, hospital where babies are born? When you you had a baby, yeah, I had a baby. It's messy. Yeah, a lot yeah, of noise, <laughs> blood, screaming, and people have some crying, half yelling. Uh, it's, it's really, it's also not very pretty. Mm-hmm. Like that baby, there's a little cord that's sticking out. And like you're looking at that, but the life that came out of that uh, is so beautiful. And then you can go to a funeral home. Um, the dead person behaves really well. It's dressed up really well, smells really good. There's such an order. There's such a structure there. There's such a... Um, like um, there's this solitude and everything, but everything is dead. So I'd rather have the hospital um, and mess with it. We'll, we can clean it up. You know, mm-hmm. we'll we'll have to clean it up. Don't get me wrong. I'm not all for dirtiness and everything. Yeah. We're gonna have to clean some things up. And so over the over the funeral. No, that, that's yeah, yeah, really good. I think a conversation there. And then one more. Um, I guess when even you mentioned before. Uh, I think it was before we were recording. You spoke at the conference, and then Benny Hinn spoke after you. When, especially in American culture, when you think of prosperity preachers or prosperity gospel, what comes to mind for you, and how do you react to it, or what's your well, view how, towards how that? Did you, how would you define a prosperity gospel? When because I don't see that in the Bible. Like I only see one gospel, gospel of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. So I know it's an American invention, mm-hmm. but I just want to know what is your definition of like what what is your definition of prosperity gospel? How how I understand it is, hey, I'm a preacher. This is my ministry, and the popular you know would call TBN phrase like so a thousand dollars, so so a five thousand. Use mm-hmm. your credit card, give it all, so God really knows that you're for real, mm-hmm. and give all financially. And then a guy is flying a brand new jet or four jets or, you know, cutting out Mercedes to make limos and multiple of them. And then doing that. And I guess, so am I misunderstanding them? So I guess when I think of prosperity gospel, I think of people falsely promising you to sow most of the time financial so, so seed. R- riches, so so the, the people will get rich if they give. And a lot of times it's like straightforward promise, promise a financial reward. It's not like... Hey, if you sacrifice your finance, kind of like we talked about yours, it was a call on your heart. Mm-hmm. You're like, I want to trust God with this. Mm-hmm. And you weren't expecting like, hey, if I give a thousand to missionary, I'm going to get a hundredfold. So mm-hmm. this seed, I'm going to get a hundredfold back. I can't wait to get a hundred thousand dollars in my bank account. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do it again. I'm going to get two hundred thousand. And when I think of prosperity gospel, it's like, hey, if you follow God, you're sick, that you're going to be healed. Or you, you struggling financially, you're going to be blessed financially. You have this problem. You're going to be blessed in that area as well and prosper in that area. And then people do all of those things and stuff doesn't happen. They don't get healed. They don't get Mm -hmm. financial. They don't hit the, you know, they don't win the lottery. Mm -hmm. Their marriage doesn't become, you know, healed all all of a sudden. They're greatly in love all over again. And they're like, wait, but you said it will happen if I just sow the seed. Mm -hmm. But then I I see you take off on a 2021 jet and I'm like, wait, and I can... I can see why people can doubt like their seeds mm-hmm. that they sowed, mm-hmm. and especially if it's like very aggressively focused on like the financial seed and mm-hmm. just give it to me and trust God to mm-hmm. heal your problems. So I, I see that, that there's there's two extremes. There's first one is the prosperity gospel. The second one is the poverty gospel, mm-hmm. which is as dangerous. Yeah. So I, from what I'm kind of understanding is the prosperity gospel is if you believe that if you are righteous you'll be rich, 
mm-hmm. and that if you uh, if you give money that giving money is pretty much like a huge investment financially that God will supernaturally supply uh, finances. And then poverty gospel is that if you are poor, you're pious. And that um, and pretty much means the more poor you are, the more holy you are. Mm-hmm. And so, and I see both of them being, honestly, being very wrong because first of all, actually Pharisees believed if you're righteous, you'll be rich. Um, and Jesus confronted that and he pretty much said that there are rich people. Like, first of all, that's not true because there are, they're drug dealers who are very rich. Mm-hmm. They're not righteous. So that already goes out of the window. There's Hollywood stars right now who are swimming in money, who are honestly, uh, who are hidden, and they're going straight to hell. And so being rich doesn't mean that you are righteous, nor is being poor means you are pious, mm-hmm. because there are poor people who are drug addicts. It doesn't mean it has nothing to do with them being, you know, sacrificial. So I think both of these extremes are wrong. What I find the problem is when the guy preaches prosperity gospel and he's the only one that's wealthy. Yeah. <laughs> and the whole church is broke. And the other problem is when the guy preaches against the poverty gospel, and I won't mention names, and they're actually loaded. Like they have four houses. Um, and there's news articles showing up from a lot of some of these guys, even uh, Calvinist camp, who are very hard against prosperity, who are very, very wealthy, live in a very nice neighborhoods, live in very expensive houses. And I'm not against that. I mean, the, names, the, 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 huh? no, no, that's, that's <laughs> not. They, 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 they work hard. Like, yeah. honestly, they work hard. They write books. They, there's a lot of components. People probably give to their ministry and everything. They invest. I don't mind that. What I don't like is this. When they get up from the pulpit and they tell people that it's evil or it's wrong, but they themselves send their kids to, their best, to the best colleges. They live in the gated communities. They live in, in the communities where there is no drive-by. There is no, it's not a ghetto. They drive uh, in the nicer neighborhoods. They take a seminary, you know, master's and PhD. They pay for it from their finances. They have a retirement fund. And so they live like prosperity gospel preachers, but they preach for people to be poor. And that trips me up. Mm-hmm. And I really think, so what I do is I, f- I try to find a balance. And the balance for me is the kingdom is the kingdom. What, what is the kingdom uh, gospel? It's the good news about Jesus. It's the good news about the king. It's the good news about his reign and his rule over the earth. Overall, if you take the picture of who God is, God is not poor. Mm-hmm. We can agree with that. Overall, he created the earth. He placed the gold, the silver, and everything for our enjoyment. He did not do it so that the drug dealers and Hollywood stars will get wealthy off. There are scriptures that God wants to bless us, and we know that. But I believe that my, my stance is this, and this is what I teach. You can be poor and be Christian, but you cannot be stingy and be a Christian. Mm-hmm. I believe in generosity is the mark of true, genuine Christian, not prosperity. Prosperity is something, first of all, definition of prosperity is different for you and I. A person watching us from India, their definition is to have a cow in India. Yeah. That is their prosperity. Your definition might be very different. My, my thing is that God wants to give you enough for your family and more than enough so that you can support his kingdom, his project, and help those who are poor. And so if God blesses you with more, I really believe it's not only so you can increase your living, it's so that you can increase your giving. And so and me and my wife, we try to live that. Um, we are blessed. Um, God blessed us uh, financially, but people around us, we try to elevate their life, lifestyle. 
to the level to the best that we can whether it's giving a cars as of this today and i'm not sharing this to uh, to lose my reward in heaven but as of this day we gave six cars away in the last six or seven years um uh, why we do that because i want to help people come to the level where i was maybe a year ago and stuff so if my people who are around me are struggling mm-hmm. and i'm the only one blessed something is wrong so people around me have to be blessed if god blesses me it's also for them and so um so in that definition of prosperity gospel no i don't believe in that um i don't practice it i also don't believe in the poverty gospel i do believe in the kingdom of jesus christ uh which is the only gospel that we have and then i believe in living extravagantly generous extravagantly generous Mm -hmm. and helping others to come to the level where Jesus never intended the welfare to take care of the poor. He intended the Christians to take care of their own poor. And so to take care of our own needy people, our own struggling people. And um, and so we try to live that. Um, And do I believe that if you give somehow some way it still finds your way into your spiritual account in heaven and God financially somehow this how it works. People who usually give they have enough. Like I can't explain that. I actually to interrupt you I, I know a CPA that does taxes for a lot of Slavic people. Uh-huh. And she said that, that. She's like, I do people's taxes. And she's like, a lot of the people that I know that are doing very well financially are very big givers. Mm-hmm. So it's, she's not a priest, some spiritual yeah, yeah, yeah. person encouraging to give to uh-huh, her. Uh-huh. But she's like, I, I see their taxes. I see their expenses. And she's like, a lot of people that are wealthy are very generous givers. It's true. I, I agree with that. Yeah, I don't think that that's why they give. Yeah. I think um, I think their motives, and we have to watch for our motives to be very pure. But promising that if you sow a thousand dollars, that you will reap, um, you know, ten thousand um, dollars. We, we don't. Bible does talk about uh, that you will reap abundantly, um, but that, that's a very dangerous territory. That's not a territory that I um, go on. In fact, Benihin actually even publicly repented of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the service yeah, that I, I was that. on, yeah, I saw that. I watched yes, that. I was that. I was actually at that service. He really he went uh, out, and then he when we met privately, he kind of actually discouraged. Not that I'm ever going to get private jet, but he was talking to us. <laughs> he was talking <laughs> to my private jet. No, no, he he was he, he was even saying if somebody gives it to you. He says, don't take it. And he started explaining the problems with it. First of all, how, how many attacks you get from, from that stupid private jet. And secondly, he says, how much cost it takes actually to maintain it. He says, and it's a really big waste of money. It's millions of dollars that you can spend um, on, on other things, on other projects, hire staff, you know, produce things. And, and so with me, my stance is this. I want to be known for my generosity, not for my wealth. Um, and I know this is a kind of maybe not even a good thing to say because – I don't want to flamboyant the show. Hey, I'm generous. That's, that's not the goal. But if somebody is rather going to attack me or criticize, I'd rather have them know me for my generosity than my, than prosperity. my prosperity. Secondly, that's one of the reasons why last year I decided to give all my stuff for free. So all of my books, um, the three books, e-books, all of them are available to download. Um, I launched an online school that has about 13,000 students. It's free. 13,000? 13,000 students. That's a lot. I'm releasing a new new course this Thursday. A lot of guys, they charge for like online courses. Of course. I really felt that God wants me to, to give it for free. Last year, I got an offer with Destiny Image for my next book to be signed by a publisher, which is a dream for every guy like me, yeah. little guy. And, um, and I asked the publisher if they could release the book the same day for free for people to download. 
-hmm. And of course, the publisher will never agree because that's like that's yeah. that's losing money. And when they said no, I declined the offer. Wow. And so I pub I now will continue to self-publish. I probably will not go with the with the with the publisher. And the Lord spoke to me in my heart, and He said this: People who need your content the most cannot afford it. Mm -hmm. And he said, in this day and generation, he says, there's so much free stuff available. And he says, don't monetize the gospel, meaning offer it for free. I still have it available on Amazon physical mm -hmm. books because Amazon sells them. They're still for a price. And I sell them on conferences and everything. But I always tell people, you know, I'm like, hey, if you can't afford it, just go to my website, download it for free, no strings attached. I'm not going to, you know, send you some kind of a thing, fill out this for $5 and everything. Um, just, just download it and you can unsubscribe from my email list and, and do whatever. And so that's, that's my practice. That's what I teach our church. That's what I teach people who follow our ministry. Um, and surprisingly, um, when we model like that, a lot of people actually start to give. And they're like, hey, I connect with that. I had a partner's meeting today before you came. And a lot of people are like, man, they're like, when I saw that you went that route, and the Lord put on my heart, hey, I want to I help you. I want to support you. Um, and people from different countries. Surprisingly, more than half of my partners are from United outside of the United States. Wow. From the poor countries that out of which, you know, for which I decided to give my content to. And some of those people from there, and there's some probably wealthy people in those countries too. And so, um, so that's my, my stance. And it goes contrary to some of the, I guess, groups that I get labeled that I'm running with. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah. Do you, uh, okay, I guess first part is, you're talking, you know, you're talking about partners and you're selling books and whatnot. But you also mentioned before, uh, before we were recording, that you still do stuff on the side, like some investments, even yeah, with construction recently. stuff. So it's not like you're just sitting there recently. and like, oh, God bless me financially. Somebody needs to just deposit it to my bank account. Mm -hmm. You also kind of go out of your way like, hey, I can invest my money here and, you know, mm -hmm. get a that greater only, that return. O that only started about a year ago. Mm -hmm. um, I was doing a little bit of real estate um, when I was younger. And then when that thing happened, when we gave all of our money that we had, I felt the Lord say that I had two rental properties. Mm -hmm. I really felt um, that those rental properties were like almost like my plan B financially mm -hmm. in case things don't go well with ministry, that I have something to fall on. And I felt led to uh, sell them and give the money away from the first one completely, all of the proceeds from the second one, a portion of the proceeds, and to throw myself completely into the ministry. And we lived like this for about four or five years. And then last year, um, also, I uh, allow the Lord to lead in different seasons because we gave radically each year. Everything that came in, we would give in January. Everything, literally, I'm talking about everything to the dollar. Mm -hmm. So zero, zero on every account. And uh, sometimes we'd give two cars away in one month, so we would walk to work. And, and the problem with that as a pastor, when you live like that, you start to teach like that because you typically preach what you kind of practice mm -hmm. and, and it's not healthy for a church when everyone always gives everything because they're a businessman. They need to have a capital. They need to... Uh, and so I really felt that uh, to begin to teach also and something that I needed to do is to do a little bit more of investing. So I started, invested a little bit into... Um, I sold a house, invested a little bit into a car flipping and then um, houses flipping and then planning to do some little bit of stocks and a few other things. So yes, I do some other things on the side as well. Um, and, uh, and my giving last year when, the, when our church gave us the, at the end of the year the tax deduction paper, it was more than any other year I could remember that I ever given. And it was the year last year when I did not do that big sacrifice. Mm -hmm. But it was because of kind of like certain investments, 
you know, would sell and give a certain portion and that. And then, and then on top of that, we gave the books, 40,000 downloads happened in, I think, in six months uh, from, the, from the website where people just downloaded stuff for free. I mean, I could have made a lot, a lot of money could have been made through that, but, you know, but a lot of people were impacted. And then, you know, my policy is this. I have a copyright system. So uh, if you download something, you have a, uh, my copyright definition is this. You have a right to copy. <laughs> <laughs> so you copy, you distribute it, you print it, and just, just, and just give God the glory. And that's it. You don't need to mention me. I had some pastors who were like, hey, you know, I watch your messages, and then I repreach them. You know, uh, it's like, hey, is it okay if I don't mention your name? I was like, dude, just relax, <laughs> man. Just do it. And just make sure you preach it better than me. And Because uh, I'm like, if you don't do as good as me, then I'm like, people will know. <laughs> but... Yeah. That's good. No, and there's so much. I think uh, even like even before coming here, and there's like I mean, like wrote some stuff. To, like, Go ahead, oh, just, just, just but, but throw, throw but, in quick, quick. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, no, but uh, even uh, by well, what do you want? Well, only an hour and a half in. But even uh, while I'll I'll give, be going through it, you mentioned because the thing is, what I mentioned at the beginning is I wanted this conversation to be is like, hey, if Mike's were not here, if we're not recording, and I got a chance to sit with Vlad for two hours, just kind of ask him questions that came to my mind. Um, and then, like you mentioned, oh, there's some guys that I you know that I associated with. Let's say you, you threw out names like you know, like Benihin, or I think another name that's attached to your reputation, or at least for me, is guys like TB Joshua and those guys. And I'm like, when people would say like, oh, Vlad, I'm thinking like of these guys. So I was like, okay, mm-hmm. Vlad rolls with Benihin. He rolls with he rolls with you know, those guys, and then and then kind of that's like a whole another camp of maybe preachers uh mm-hmm. especially think this past uh, that's when i posted on a story on instagram of like oh questions to ask Vlad, and one of the questions was i think because they are associating you with like with these with these guys and they said what does vlad think about the uh, prophecies about even like trump becoming president that never happened and there's some pretty big names that are like dude trump's our boy for another four years mm-hmm. it's gonna happen god said so it's gonna happen and it doesn't happen what do you do? What do you do then? I don't know. So you're like, he's a prophet, and he just said something's gonna happen, and it didn't happen. And what do we call those prophets when they say something's gonna happen and it didn't happen? Mistaken prophets. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't throw them as a, as a false prophets yet, um, and so, uh, but they missed it. They they missed it or. Maybe church missed it. A lot of people say that church missed it. You know, they didn't pray enough. And I don't know. I personally don't think that's the route. That that's kind of easy. You pretty much yeah. can. There's almost no accountability for your prophetic word. And so the Bible says, when Samuel's words, uh, whatever Samuel says, God didn't allow it to fall on the ground. So that's my thing. But um, concerning uh, guilt by association, um, while we're at it, you know, I'm also very closely connected with King Solomon. He ended pretty bad. Um, and stuff so I connected with King David I read his stuff almost every single day and so also had some pretty shady stuff in his past and <laughs> in his so, ministry yeah yeah the guy had really really bad stuff I mean he would have never been allowed to any conferences for till the second coming of Christ and so um, so it, uh, guilt by association is uh, there are some people that the names that you just throw out that I used to be connected with uh, we used to go to Chibi Joshua take trips there uh, three trips a year um, uh, in those days, uh, there was really, honestly, a uh, hunger for the supernatural, hunger for, for the deliverance, really kind of got solidified there. Um, I had people who lived there for many years. Um, my cousin, who lived there for two years, a girl from our church, lived there for two and a half years. A guy that's a pastor now on our team lived there for 10 years. 
and another guy we're trying to bring to our ministry for 16 years who lived there. And so, um, so I've, you know, and I can tell you one thing is that rubbing shoulders with some of these men of God uh, who are, some call them false prophets, some call of them totally, you know, they're demonic and, and everything. Um, I, I can't go that route, even though I've seen some of their weaknesses, mm-hmm. even though I've witnessed uh, some of the shortcomings that kind of made me almost um, like, man, how could someone have that and still be used of God? And so it made me kind of understand how God could use David and some of these guys. It made some of the biblical uh, stories become a little bit more alive to me. And uh, I am not in any way condoning behavior that doesn't glorify God, doesn't exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. But um, but the issue is that when I get kind of labeled, oh, you're with that guy, was somebody recently, uh, won't also mention name, who very popular in Russian culture, who had a big issue with me because of a photo that I took with the minister who kind of is going through his very uh, challenging times right now in Ukraine. And, um, you know, and I, I challenged him too. And I said, well, there are photos with, you know, with two other ministers who just recently in American culture fell deeply in disgrace, mm-hmm. public scandal. And I was like, it doesn't mean that, you know, now you're guilty of that. Yeah. And I was like, all of us are in our pursuit of God growing. Sometimes we'll learn from a person in a season of our life that um, will enrich a particular area of our life and honestly in ignorance not knowing of other areas Mm -hmm. that are maybe struggling that nobody even knows sometimes even their family doesn't know and then you move on uh, from maybe learning or gleaning from that person you move on to to someone else all of us are learning from from certain people in a particular area my pastor always was the one that that drove us to um, to these uh, men and women of God. And sometimes he would take us there and honestly tell us up front. He says, I don't agree with this, this, this. Mm-hmm. He's like, but I agree with this. Mm-hmm. And he's like, it doesn't make them false. He's like, we just don't like their style. But he said, but God somehow uses them in this area. He says, let's go learn. I mean, he would tell us that on the way. He sent me one time to one service in Lakeland, uh, you know, Todd, uh, not Todd White, uh, the um, Todd, uh, guy with tattoos, forgot his name. Um, he was doing a Lakeland revival. My pastor was a straightforward, honestly, like no, 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 no. And then he sent me there for seven days, and I was like, so if you don't like it, why am I going there? I didn't even want to go and stuff. And so I was like, man, I don't want to spend seven days in a hotel over there and stuff. So he's like, man, God is moving, and he's like, yeah, that's not my preference, that's not my cup of tea. But you know, so and my pastor was the one that really kind of is the, you know, we didn't go to Tibi Joshua because I wanted to go to Tibi Joshua. My pastor was the one, and so he really is like the fuel behind, uh, make sure that we don't just build our preaching on just explanation, but there's demonstration. He says the gospel is, he's like cut away from the gospel, the supernatural and God's acts he's like you don't have a gospel and he's like we have to have that he says if it's not working here it's working somewhere else I see my pastor was a driver for Hritz Hopnivsky and he was this grandpa in Ukraine whom God used in a ridiculous ways I mean I'm talking about supernaturally his clothes would be ironed and he's like in Pentecostal circles demons would try to push his bicycle when he would ride to the to the village and almost like bicycle would fall and he would fight with demons on the way to the village and my pastor was his driver and so he would tell us the stories how he would go in the rain his whole suit gets all wrinkled pastor saw this he would get on his knees he would get up from his knees and his suit gets completely dried up and um uh, when you iron it, mm-hmm. even the kante, 
everything. My pastor, he said, I saw with my own eyes and stuff. So he says, I saw a levitation where people would uh, le- le- levitate. So, so he grew up like that as a young man. So he's, he always would tell us, because you know, when we came to the United States, we quickly drew, we started listening to a lot of American preachers. And you know, a lot of this stuff is very good knowledge-based and motivational speaking. My pastor would constantly correct us. He said, guys, he says, you're missing the big point. He said, you're missing the, the part of who God is. And he said, everything about the Bible is it can't be explained with your natural mind. He says, it has to touch the spirit. And so he would constantly. So my pastor is really behind that. And uh, the driving force behind that and and he always teaches us eat the meat throw away the bones and yes it comes with the price of being accused labeled um but it's fine yeah and i guess yeah it's like a fine line to walk because yeah like you said let's say even we mentioned a name already like tb josh when you're like well i saw his flaws i see like some stuff but then and i guess i guess it comes to its each owns wisdom of like where it comes a line where you're like wait that's a flaw, but now it's just straight up wrong. I can't, you know, mm-hmm. endorse yeah. him now. Like, I know he's trying, or but he's missing his way mm-hmm. outside the bounds, mm-hmm. even though he may mean well and he's trying well. But you're like, no, that's that's way out of bounds for a minister to do so. And kind of, I guess, each one can pray for yeah, his own and, wisdom and I think, for that. Yeah, and that. that's, that's that. And then there's like, for example, you know how David distanced himself from Saul. Mm-hmm. You know, um, still called him anointed. Even though Saul had a mental problem. Saul was demon-oppressed. And and David distanced himself, but he never disrespected. And so I have certain preachers right now who try to get me publicly to disrespect and throw this man or this woman under the bus. And I know certain things by, cert, uh, uh, by certain people that honestly could give people a lot of fire for the fuel. And um, I'm very, very careful. Why? Because I'm thir- 34 years old. I have a, still a huge future in front of me. I don't want to screw it up. And... I know that it grieves the Holy Spirit. If I go that route, David didn't go that route. He never raised his hand against Saul. Even though what Saul was doing, honestly, was straight up wrong. Mm-hmm. What Saul was doing was actually demonically inspired. And he still called him the anointed. And he never raised his hand, He, but he distanced himself. And so to me, that's the thing. is that Just because I distance myself from somebody, um, in my heart, I will never release disrespect. That's between God and them. I am not a spiritual police where I have to call this false prophet. This. If somebody denounces Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, denounces the Trinity, the Word of God, and Jesus the only way to salvation, that's it. I mean, you got me. I'm going to be the first one to throw the stone and say, this is heresy. Um, but if somebody practices things different and there are certain uh, flaws in their ministry and they, they, they seem to acknowledge them or, or I don't know how they dealt with them and I'm just not aware of it and I don't have time to fly there or to go there and to get this kind of an interview to find out and it doesn't bother me i might distance myself and sometimes even occasionally watch certain things and just kind of maybe see if i can glean or see what's going on there but when it comes to the respect i really want to guard my heart because the last thing i want is to cross that line and this is what my pastor he taught me when i was about 15 years of age he said vlad when charismatic movement happened my pastor was the spy sent to alexei lidayev's church in latvia uh-uh to investigate and to bring the report to the Bratstvo about all the, um, all the wrong things. So he went there first time, came back with a very bad report of how messed up Lidiaev and all of those people are. He said, but something touched me. He says, I saw their commitment to God. He says, it wasn't the way I'm used to, mm-hmm. you know, like radical, screaming, yelling. But he said, he said, it couldn't be that fake. Why? Because his assignment was to report as everything was bad. He came, he bashed at it. Then he became the spokesman against the charismatic movement. Mm-hmm. So he went to churches 
in Volinsk Oblast, Rivno, and start preaching what he saw, because now he's a witness. Yeah. And then he was sent a second time to get more detailed. Then he came back with that report, but now he started having doubts, and he started to notice that there's inconsistencies, even in his own reporting. And I remember being 16 years of age, we're driving from Seattle, and pastor said, I've never seen great supernatural miracles in his ministry in 10 years of being missionary in Russia. And he looked at us and he says, I think I know why. He says, I grieve the Holy Spirit. He says, I repented of what I did. He says, what I did in ignorance. He says, it was God. He says, yeah, maybe it was immature. It was baby, it was bloody, it was messy. He says, that's, he says, but the things I said, um, then the pastor ended up doing the very things that he criticized. Mm-hmm. But he says that touch that he really hoped to have on his ministry, he didn't have it. And I remember he looked at us, we were 16, and he says, guys, in your generation, God's going to do different things. He says, keep your mouth closed. He says, what you don't understand, be the last one to give your opinion on that. He says, let others do it. He says, if you want God's spiritual touch on your ministry, he says, avoid those paths. Let others run say stuff. He says, whatever they attack, it will never be attracted in their ministry. And I remember this like yesterday as a teenager. And so when I hear attacks and criticism, especially from ministries that don't have supernatural, Mm -hmm. to me, I'm like, oh, they went ahead and did that. And now God doesn't honor their ministry with that. I don't want that. I'll rather be the last one to, you know, kind of let, let them say, I, I just say, I don't understand. Or oh, what happened with those prophets? Honestly, I don't know. Um, that's my, let, let me play the ignorance card. But in my secret place, I say, Lord, I just don't want you to withdraw your grace. I don't want to, I'm not an expert in the Holy Spirit. I don't own the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. He is God. I'm a little menial, little dust on the thing. You think I got God figured out? You have of a book course on Holy not. Spirit. Um, uh, it's coming out. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't mean I got it figured out and stuff. So the last thing, the last thing I need is is to cross, you know, his, and then for him to withdraw his grace quietly and silently. And then the only thing I'm going to be left is Vlad's little preach, preaches and speeches, and and he's gonna not gonna catchy honor lines. them. Yeah, catchy lines. And so I just want him, and I want his grace, and and uh, that is more. I can we can survive criticism, we can survive persecution, we can survive anything. With the power of the Holy Spirit. My great-grandpa sat in jail for 10 years. He didn't have a Facebook page. He didn't have a support. He didn't have a GoFund uh, account. He survived. Um, He made it because he made it with God. Uh, He was released from prison, tied to a horse, dragged around the village. People threw stuff at his brain. And because his head got beat into the rocks because the horse dragged him, he died from brain damage three days later as a martyr. And, uh, you know, these people, they made it without the things that we have. And so, to me, it's very important not to lose that, that connection to the Holy Spirit. Uh, but everything else, He'll get me through. If He doesn't get me through, all the political connections, all the bratstvo supporting me, that w- that would mean very little. You uh, recently, uh, recently, one of your sermons at the conference, you mentioned uh, when, uh, and even you're like uh, in your youth years and kind of when you were desperate for the God to move. And you said you uh, it got weird. You, the church got really weird, and then but now it's wired or something like that. And then one of the questions was as well as like, what did he? What? And then they heard the message as well at the conference, and the question was like, did he mean that kind of like all the deliverance stuff is not going to be happening anymore? Like, what? What did you mean by it used to be weird, and but it wasn't the move. The 
Holy Spirit because no, I think when no, 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 I think some people describe weird even let's mm-hmm. say what's happening right mm-hmm. now like yo mm-hmm. Vlad for me that's weird yeah. what do you mean you used to be weird so when you said like oh we don't want to be weird anymore we want to be wild oh it's, it's, the, very, the simple. it's very simple we, we were not um, we were not seeking people to be saved we had this idea that if we will have manifestations people will come to know Christ um, automatically that means we don't do anything we just simply facilitate that and another thing is that we uh we really tried to duplicate what happens in Africa in our church, and so du- during those times we prayed with the anointing water. And I'm oh, not yeah, saying that, I'm not saying that, that I'm not saying that was weird. Okay, maybe a little bit. <laughs> and so um, what was weird is it's not that 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 wasn't the, what the fact is that the people getting saved it wasn't the goal. When you seek people getting saved, and so it, it changes your approach with even how you do deliverance and everything else and stuff. So um, and so that that's for me the weird weird days. Not necessarily that what we were doing what God wasn't behind it. People were got healed. People got delivered. Church church shrunk. Mm-hmm. Nobody was getting saved, and so um, deliverances are still happening. Yeah, we don't pray with anointing water, um, but um, but at the same time, it, it's wild. But for some people, it's weird. It's weird. The deliverance is weird. Um, the, for some people, ripped jeans is weird. For some people, you know, uh, girls wearing earrings is weird. So but I, I was using my definition. Weird was simple. Church wasn't growing. We had only the supernatural manifestations. People were not getting saved. There was no goal of people getting saved. And so, um, and then I really feel like it's wild now because there's that balance of people getting saved, people getting to know Christ, and then um, and deliverance is accompanying the ministry and as well as healing of the sick. I think yeah, that was a lot. I think very good. I really enjoyed it, and that's kind of the whole point of of you enjoy of you enjoying it. Yeah, I can I'm, see you're like falling asleep already. Yeah, no, I'm really enjoying it. I think these are the conversations that I always like love when it comes to like there's kind of genuine you know face to face because the option was to do this you know remote. I'm like remote is not the same. Like wait, you're I, ju- I just up. I just wanted you for save you a drive here. Okay, that's, yeah, that's no, all. I, I was just I, trying. I, to, I was it. I was concerned for you. That's yeah, all. No, no, it was good. Um, but but I guess uh, to wrap it up a little bit more optimistic side, Slavic churches in America, youth is growing up. Yes, some churches are, this is the way we're going to do it. No um, English potoko or whatever. We're going to you know do translations. And it's kind of, and youth may feel maybe hopeless for like, you know, bringing their friends or mm-hmm. doing something. But let's say for churches that are more open to it, they're like, hey, fully English in let's let's do something mm-hmm. but there could still be a barrier of like like you said oh i'm not anti-slavic churches or but there could still be like hey that's you know you go to a church and there's 200 ukrainian people in there you're like yeah that's a russian church and it may be the hurdle of like of influencing maybe your co-workers because they come they're like well it's all russians and mm-hmm. uh, I, i'll go to this church i feel more comfortable here how does let's say this younger generation that that is genuinely loves God and genuinely wants to impact their community. You guys are doing a great job uh, at your church with that. What are some like advice for younger leaders of being influenced, influencing people around them, their community, not just you know saving people that are growing up and need mm-hmm. to get baptized. Mm-hmm. It, it, it takes time. It takes time. I think patience. Patience is a huge thing. You can't do that overnight. There's no. You can start growth track. You can start all of this stuff. It doesn't necessarily mean that um, that's going to change. Or <laughs> I heard in some church, you know, they banned talking in Russian in the lobby. That's it. You know, we're going to be Americanized now mm-hmm. and stuff. So, but then they still sell pinimeni. 
<laughs> so I'm like, man, it's it's not. I don't think that's that's the key. I think if we people can smell it when we are, we can be very racist by focusing um, on a particular race instead of uh, focusing on people overall that God called us to reach. If we focus on people that God called us to reach, love them from the bottom of my of the bottom of our heart. And um, American people are a lot more open to other races than Russian people are. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, how many uh, other races do you see in Ukraine? Not many. Uh, I remember talking to Henry Madava, and he was mentioning when he got beaten up, his son got beaten not him, his son got beaten up when he brought T.D. Jakes in the restaurant. And T.D. Jakes and him walk into a restaurant, and thugs come up and start cursing T.D. Jakes, not even knowing. I mean, this guy's like very, very known. And so, um, and that's Ukraine, not many years ago. American culture is not like that. So, we are very, we have a lot of advantage that people in America are open to other cultures. And we have to understand that they're very open to other cultures. And so, if we're willing to give up certain cultural preferences, like language, and we're willing, we're willing to bring people into our world and love on them and be extremely patient. It will take some time. But we don't have to renounce. Uh, our, our community is not wanting us to renounce our culture. Um, they just want us. If we want to reach the lost, we have to embrace them. We have to embrace the, the hurting people, love on them. And honestly, it's going to take time. And learn from churches that are doing well. You know, go to those churches like... You know, I tell people, you know, come and visit our church, not on a conference. Conference is not who we are. Um, you know, conference is, it, it's, like a, it's like a wedding. You know, when you have a wedding, that's not a marriage. You know, a wife doesn't walk in a white dress every day, okay, and stuff. So if you want to really see what marriage is, you saw right now what happened here today. That's, that's real people down to earth. So I always tell people, you know, go visit churches that I did that. I still do that. Um, uh, we went to uh, Peter Galasinski, you know, um, in uh, Missouri and stuff. So, you know, when I saw that, you know, his church predominantly now is, is English-speaking people. And so I went there for services, not to preach. And I met with them, asked them, you know, how do you guys do this? How do you guys do this? And so uh, to, on the under-40 event, the next day I flew to L.A., to spend a whole day in uh, Jason Lozano's church because I want to learn about discipleship more through small groups. They have like 4,000 people in small groups. And so through pandemic, this church grew through small groups. And so set me, Ilya, and, and my wife a whole day, went through their two services, met with the pastors, afterwards met with their leaders and stuff, sitting and honestly learning how, how is it being done. And so I always tell people, hey, go to take your leadership team, go to that church on Sunday morning, sacrifice your Sunday morning for one Sunday, see how it's done, see how it feels, see what you can do better, see what you can change. And so that's what I would kind of encourage them, be patient, really love people. American people are not scared of other cultures as Russian people think they are. And be, be very authentic. Uh, in our culture, you don't fool people. Uh, people can smell through if you're real or if you're just trying to become famous or you're trying to be big or trying to be this and stuff. And so, and lastly, is go learn from somebody else. Actually be there. Instead of inviting them to speak at your church, which was the mistake that people make. Well, I'm going to invite Vlad. I'm going to invite this guy. He's going to come and speak to our church. No, 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 that's a mistake. No, you go to their place and you spend just that day with the church just sit there see what they are bring your children's director to their children's uh, ministry and just just see how it is receive that if i could use that impartation that influence from seeing how it's done see the good the bad and the ugly see the real you know not like when our pastors pastors come to our church now and stuff so they see uh, they leave impacted not impressed 
Mm-hmm. They see the they they see our struggles. They don't see necessarily, oh my God, this is perfect. It's not. It's the furthest thing from being perfect. But they leave impact. They're like, oh wow, this is normal Sunday, you know. And it really touches them seeing people getting saved, new people meeting new people, people coming out of town on a normal Sunday to to hear the message and to be touched by God. God, Vlad, you we took your time way way past your usual time of bed, but uh, but I, I need to ask. So you said you you went to learn from the church that does live groups or yeah. small groups in a big way if you were to summarize in a, you know in a minute like hey a successful live uh, live group or home group ministry this is what it needs or this needs to what needs to happen for for, for a healthy home group ministry to grow and be successful dude that's that's like that's that's going to take that's a three, whole, three that's hours, what i mean yeah. that's what i mean kind of like thing, a yeah. bullet I honestly would would say it starts from uh, it starts from the top. Um, the church, uh, unfortunately, we are churches today that make events instead of making disciples. We are very good at making conferences, summer camps, retreats, services, but not disciples. The whole culture of Christianity in the Western Christianity is about making events. Outside of the United States, it's predominantly Philippines, other countries. It's extremely discipleship-driven culture. Um, Discipleship-driven culture is the only thing that will survive pandemic and persecution. Event-driven churches, building, big building, humongous conferences, it cannot survive persecution. You take away our nonprofit status, take away our rights, lock our pastors in jail, and you will see that a lot of our church won't, churches won't make it because they're built on events and they're built on members instead of disciples. Disciples will survive through pandemic and they'll multiply through pandemic. And so small groups is just an expression of discipleship culture. Small groups are not the goal. The goal is to make disciples. And so... Um, uh, when it comes to doing small groups, we do them, you know, every week. We do them one hour. The leader of uh, the small group is not just leading a group, but they're also recruiting and building leaders through that. And then when they release a new small groups, these new people become like their disciples that they oversee, that they disciple. And so it almost sounds like a pyramid where each person is trying to make their own disciples, but they're not their disciples. They're disciples of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So we, we try to avoid this thing. That's my disciple. We, yeah. we take away out of the terminology. And we also sometimes, you know, let's say if I released you and you were in my small group and then you went under this pastor like for their care and their accountability, it's completely fine because you don't belong to me. You don't belong to them. You belong to Jesus and we are all disciples of Jesus Christ. So we try to kind of maintain that. And then we also have a training for these disciples to become leaders. Um, and we can touch that on the other day. But pretty much the big idea is we need discipleship more in our church. Um, and the moment we start getting people saved, we need to emphasize small groups and then small groups need to emphasize discipleship. I think that should be good. But you said... We'll touch on this another time, and I hope that happens, and you have to commit <laughs> publicly when you're, like, in Seattle area and talk more, I think, the more nitty-gritty of, like, the church and discipleship and, and all of those things. But thank you for taking your time. It's already... We're pushing 11.30 already. Is that... Hey, it is accurate. You should thank Everett, man. Everett is the one that's sacrificing. Everett, I, uh... thank you. He's the guy behind all the technology stuff mm-hmm. but no thank you so much Vlad this is uh, very generous of you um, it was nice hearing from you like I said even like listening to your sermons and stuff yeah for some reason I don't feel you don't, uh, think, you don't think I'm a false prophet <laughs> <laughs> so now in the moment of the hour so yeah, that, uh, yeah, and, and get encouraged by hey 
prayer life, Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. that's when it used to happen. You know, the Bible, bro, bro, the I'm, I'm, not, I'm not weird, bro. Okay, I'm not, I'm not weird. Okay, <laughs> not I, weird. Might, I might be a little, a little bit crazy, <laughs> but okay, I'm behind the mountains. Okay, so you guys all abandoned me over there. Okay, so from Seattle, folks. But um, no, I, you know, I, I love God. I love God's people, and uh, and I'm a little bit crazy. No, I, but my thing is that, that what I'm wrestling with is it crazy what you're doing, or is it more crazy that one can live their whole life believing the Almighty God and that's never right. experiencing anything? That's so a, that, that's a mic drop right there. Honestly, you you had a nail. You had a nail on the on the head right there. Yeah, because I didn't even think like that. Like when you when you I think you you, you mentioned that too and stuff. So that's uh, and that's what I like guess for me. So it was like man, like. He's doing it. it. Might be weird. I'm like, hey Vlad, do it in the room. Vlad, do it outside the church. Do it different. Do it. Do it differently. And then you could be like, okay, Vasily, how do you do it? I'm like, bro, I've never. I I run away from that stuff. I'm scared of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And again, like, but you believe this Almighty God and but you but he seems to know how it's supposed to be done. Exactly, I yeah. know a lot. Yeah. And then you know, I think one of their like expressions started that like. The horse that pulls the plow doesn't kick as much because he's, he's busy pulling the plow. And the one that's standing around, he's kicking around, he's doing, you know, like, ah. Uh, you, makes a lot and, of dust, yeah, and a lot makes of noise. A lot of yeah. dust, but, and I guess, yeah. And then even with the stuff, I was like, hey, stuff needs to happen. People need to be uh, prayed for. See, that, see that's why be- when you were reaching out at first, and, uh, and I was like, man, the last thing I need is, uh, is another conversation about. Uh, somebody trying to, you know, uh, school me back to former Soviet Union, and you know, like, or, or I was like, man, I just don't have time. And it's not that I'm like, I really don't have, I really have a lot of other stuff going on, and I'm like, I really don't have time for, for that. Plus, I don't want to get listen to my own rap. I just wanna. At the end of the day, the Lord's gonna settle the score mm-hmm. with all of us. And my goal is on that day not to be ashamed. Mm-hmm. And my goal on that day, He will expose my motives. He will expose everything, honestly. And I fear. Uh, for my life at that day because you know i it's one thing to appear one way in front of people uh, but it's on that day that's all that's going to matter but also we belong to the slavic district of the mm-hmm. assemblies of god uh, we belong to that district for a while now we moved to that district because we were part of the assemblies of god northwest district when the slavic district started so we're there and uh, and so i am trying to also diffuse some of these um unnecessary ignorant attacks upon our ministry by being more engaged with the Slavic district Mm -hmm. because the problem before is that I always felt like a black sheep and so and when I felt like a black sheep I ran from the places that looked at me funny and weird and I was like well why do I need to even be at the places like that so what I did is I gravitated toward people who understood who welcomed me Um, and I have few of my friends who honestly who also have very large ministries and I felt comfortable there and that's it but um we became more, I, I don't know, I felt like I became a little bit more intentional, even with the district that we belong to. Um, and this is not me trying to associate myself, oh, now I'm a, with the districts, everybody thinks I'm right. No, I don't care about this stuff. And so, and a few things that we started to do, one of them is that um, I kind of had a little better feeling toward the district because I felt like I was being, you know, misunderstood by some people there. But the Lord dealt with my heart, and He says, part of being in the Slavic district is you have to pay your tithe to the district. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. He's like, well, why are you complaining? He's like, you're not giving. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. You know, and God convicted me a year ago. He's like, you need to each month, you know, part of our deal, because I'm licensed with the district, mm-hmm. you know, I need to pay a certain amount. And when I started to pay, you know, my heart changed. 
<laughs> where your treasure is, where your heart is. So, <laughs> so, uh, so uh, yeah. So, and then secondly, honestly, like even some of the leadership there started to like, I don't know, became like more, I guess, I don't know, if open or something. And so and then secondly, I started to invite George to video here, not for a cover, but sec, uh, but to come in and to he comes earlier, so not for Sunday. He comes way early and he stays longer, and then honestly, he gives us feedback. I'm like, what you see? He goes on our leaders' meetings. He goes behind the scenes. And I was like, hey, what do you what do you think? And I'm like, you hear stuff about us. I'm like, examine it with evidence. Like, you're seeing it. And if you think or you see something that's not right, George, we're an open book. And so some, there are t- things he called us out on. Mm-hmm. There are leaders' meetings that I've mentioned a few things. that like He kind of brought some correction by speaking in tongues and some other stuff. And so um, I want to bring some other older um, older people. And, and so to really kind of, I want to be under the umbrella. I don't want to fly off in some kind of a space and then blow up. The last thing I need for that. So I have my pastor. And then we have also other men who are um, older who come in who might not even agree or see eye to eye, but who watch over us, who hear rumors, and they come in and they see if that stuff is real, they're going to call us out. I mean, George David Duke read my break-free book mm-hmm. in one setting. Right after that, he says, Vlad, this, this, this needs to be changed. And so, uh, it was my goal to read the book before the interview, the, and I'd be like, Vlad, this is shady. You should have read the audio book. I had an audio book. I have an audio book. I read it for you. I could read it for you, bro. Dang. Yeah. <laughs> you read the audio? Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. I can give you. I can give you the free code, man. You can download. Dude, it. I thought you were at the level where Matthew McConaughey would read your audio uh, book, yeah, but yeah, not yeah. yet. Oh, and I still do my own stuff. So yeah, I read That's the audio cool. book. Yeah, first three books. Uh, three books. I'll read all my audio my, myself. And so, but um, yeah. So he he kind of said, hey, when you translate it into Russian, this is a few things I want you to keep in mind. And so, um, and then you know, I challenged George. I was like, did you write a book? <laughs> and he's like, man, God put on my heart. And he's like, when I read your book, he says, I am moved. That he says, I need to finish my book. So then I would remind him every time we come back. And so now I'm really happy to see that he actually finished his book. And you know, the, um, I, I have the upstairs. He sent me a copy. And so I really respect that man and and other older men of God who are uh, in Slavic culture. Who I honestly sometimes look for advice, look for even for covering, um, not so that. Or be presentable in the eyes of the bratstva, but more of like, hey, I, I don't want to have some blind spots that that can really destroy me down the road. And um, and yeah, yeah. No, I think I, th- I think that's very wise. And I'm not I'm in no place to you know give you advice, but yeah, I think just kind of growing up in Slavic community and being involved in church on a very small level and kind of paying attention. Oh, that's that preacher. That's that guy. That's that guy. And I think lately, how I saw you is like that. You are more kind of like almost if i was to kind of ass- assess you before and like definitely not in a place to do it it's kind of like i would say like oh vlad is doing his own thing in tri-cities but now mm-hmm. kind of like more growing into like hey i don't want to just be by myself know it all casting out demons leave me alone i don't want to you know hear mm-hmm. anybody out but more of like hey i can learn from these people as well i can learn from these people as well we can learn from each other and stuff. But, mm-hmm. well, you mentioned George W. Duke because uh, he came to Living Hope uh, Church Conference and told a small testimony about, about the book. And we had men's breakfast, and he uh, talked about, uh, shared like two chapters of the book kind of uh, from the stage, uh, just the stories and stuff and kind of his experiences and advice. And one of the guys got really impacted at, uh, at the men's breakfast. It wasn't nothing, you know, crazy spiritual prayer, but he's like, man, that's good stuff. Yeah. Uh, comes out and he's like George how many books did you bring with you to the trip he's like 500 he's like I want to buy all of them he's like 
oh, I, I want to sell it to like other people too. And he's like, no, no, I mean, I'll pay for all of them. And can you just hand it out for free? So yeah, we just swiped the card for 500 bucks. Can you give me the name of the guy? <laughs> I, I, wanna, I don't I, know the name of the guy. I want to bring 500 bucks to Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying kidding. to find out the, yeah, the guy. Kidding. But I'm no, yeah, so uh-huh. the guy, so yes, slid the card, so paid good. for 500 bucks. Like, hey, just hand it out so to people. at the conference, everywhere, George's like, hey, grab a book. It's free. It's paid wow. for and stuff. So wow. it was really uh, cool. Yeah, but yeah, George came to Georgia, very generous with his blessing and good advice guy. and teaching. So I think he, in a season of his life where he wants to impart and teach, you know, the younger leaders and, mm-hmm. and teach and raise up so he has such no, a really, father he has such a father heart yeah i does. love him i love him but no yeah let's wrap let's wrap this up again once again a lot thank you and we're in Appreciate the Seattle area we can get more start early we'll start early we won't start at 10 p.m we'll, next we'll weekend start a next earlier. weekend but we're not we're not doing an interview there yeah yeah not conference this time, not this time yeah probably stop by check it out at the deliverance awesome. and then right well thank you let's wrap it up and thank you guys for sticking around we just hit over two hours with that thank you <laughs>